All right, time to talk the team that I've been most excited to watch in preseason. You might guess the New Orleans Pelicans. Also might guess from the title of the podcast that you clicked on when you began to play it. I'm going to bring in old pal Mason Ginsburg to talk about these guys. How are you doing, man? Uh, pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a lot of these we start off talking about last year at, at, at how they were. No, 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 forget it. How is Zion doing? How does he look in the preseason? Let's talk about it. I want to talk about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's been uh it's been a hell of a of a few games i mean it's uh, i feel like you know you you go in with these expectations of these guys that are supposed to be the next big thing and you try to be as level-headed as possible about it realizing they might be that they're supposed to be the next big thing and and zion's really man he's lived up to every everything we've expected so far it's kind of like ad because back when ad first came out of the scene in 2012 yeah, we, we, we knew we were getting a defensive monster. We didn't know how quickly his offensive game would come around. And I don't think we, we really figured it out in the preseason, but we sure figured it out in this rookie year. But with Zion, it hasn't even taken to the first game of the regular season. It's been four preseason games and he's just been dominating. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, some of these games that he had 12 of 13 from the field. And I mean, they're not even really like getting him the ball that much. And I think I, I tweeted this the other day that the sooner they figure out that he's their second best player and frankly offensively maybe even their first best player the better off they're <laughs> going to be uh because mm-hmm. you know this Brandon Ingram dribble around take more shots than Zion like I mean what Zion is doing anytime he gets the ball in space against a big especially when they've been moving him to center I mean he's been just going at guys like Rudy Gobert and yeah. scoring on them and really you know the playbook has been for a lot of these guys you know, I compared him to Giannis for instance right like uh, where, okay, the guy can't really shoot, so you can back off him, you kind of wait for him at the rim, you get his che- get your chest on him if, if you're a center, you can kind of stay in front of him enough to, to make his life difficult. But the problem is, he's so strong, and he's so quick, and he's so explosive, that he's actually, even when the center is trying to just wait there at the rim for him, he's still able to get an angle on him and finish around him at the rim. These guys can't stay in front of him in the slightest, especially when he gets ahead of steam up, it's really just been incredible. And he doesn't even really have a right hand yet either, but he's still a- able to go either direction and finish. I mean, the finishing, I mean, there's a reason the guy shot like, what was it, 77% on twos or something last year <laughs> at Duke. I mean, yeah. he's like shooting over 70% in the preseason. He's taken a few jumpers too. It's really been awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, the the one play that sticks out, and you mentioned Rudy Gobert, it's it, it's not just the dunks. It's that how acrobatic he is. What His hang time for his size is, is also pretty crazy. Yeah. And so just seeing what he's he able really to do. Because he doesn't really dunk on people. And, and just. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't really dunk on he, people, you know. He's, yeah, uh, he catches yeah. alley-oops. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly been a treat. And, um, and, and to your point, I mean, he's, they haven't had to run a ton of plays for him. Just like, I, I remember seeing that tweet from you and thinking, and we've kind of been talking about it a little bit. Some of the uh, other Pels guys that, uh, they're right with on Bourbon Street shots, just how, yeah, they're going to start designing some plays for him, but they don't need to. And he just can go get 20 points. And I don't think we expected that this quickly. Yeah, it seems like really the only thing that they've tried to do for him, a lot of ATOs, they're bringing him out of the corner, having a guard set the screen. Danny and I talked about that a a little bit last week. You know, we haven't really seen any kind of like straight post-ups for him at all. Um, You know, we haven't seen him handling the ball a ton in transition yet. But yeah, I mean, it's it's looked really, really good. How has he looked on the defensive end of the floor to you? Um, that's definitely still a work in progress. He's, uh, I, I don't think there's much concerns on the ball. I mean, at, at this point, 
relatively speaking, I mean, he's not good defensively yet. And off, off the ball, he's getting lost a lot. It's, it's typical rookie stuff, I think. Um, but, uh, stuff that I don't, maybe you didn't see quite as much at Duke. Um, but I mean, there's obviously so much more talent in the NBA. Your, all your flaws are going to get exacerbated. But, um, enough, I mean, ultimately nothing that's going to be a huge, uh, make people think that he's worse off than they expected, but it's certainly a work in progress on that end. Yeah, and I think to me, I just I haven't seen like a ton of work from him as a help defender, really at the rim, getting his chest in front of guys, and maybe that's something that can come. Um, you know, the awareness level has not been amazing. I think like on steals, he can just cover so much ground so quickly that if a guy turns his back to him or something, he can go in and pick pick the ball away, or if there's a loose ball, he can go grab it. Uh, but just the nuts and bolts help rotations, and he doesn't have a ton of length. I mean, there have been a lot of plays where he's kind of been in the area and hasn't particularly affected the shot you know the way someone like Draymond Green to whom he's been compared will you know I think a part of that is just the lack of length but yeah I mean I'm not saying he's going to be like a terrible defender but if the idea that he is going to be the anchor the defense switch everything monster I'm not saying that can't happen but I think it's more likely than not that it doesn't I think he can be okay but you know I think he might be kind of more along the lines of like a Blake Griffin who gets a bunch of steals uh, early career Blake Griffin than you know a game-changing defensive force but you know I mean he does have some tools and he's a, as we have talked about many times a unique player so it, it could be it, I'm not foreclosing on that necessarily sure sure yeah it's still 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 early enough and also I mean I think and something we'll certainly talk about is that this team is just it's a, all these guys are playing together for the first time and so that's going to compound some issues too from a communications and, and just learning learning how to play together perspective all right, well, let's uh, hit on some of these new guys, uh, some of the younger guys. We know what Drew Holiday is, uh, but some of the guys uh, who have come in, just you know, maybe give a, a few points on their preseason so far. Let's start with Lonzo Ball. Yeah, uh, so the big story with Lonzo has obviously been his fixing his jump shot. And so that's a, I think that's obviously an exaggeration. You don't just fix a jump shot. It doesn't happen overnight, but they've been, uh, working, you know, he's been working with, uh, with the shooting coach in New Orleans to, uh, you know, to, to really, uh, Fred Vincent's been helping him a lot on, on that front. And so you, you've already seen some of the form changes, but that's something you've got to practice it, you know, day in day out to make it second nature almost to really get it to a point where you feel comfortable not just when you're wide open in a game but really in a high pressure situation where you just catch catch and shoot you, you don't have to think twice about it so um you know and there I, I i think that he's already showing signs also at the free throw line i mean he <laughs> there's a stat i think in the preseason already he's made he went five for five from the line and made five free throws for maybe the first time since high school uh, or something like that and so yeah. Um, so ultimately, I mean, I think you've seen a lot to like with, with Lonzo. His, he's thrown a few alley-oops, whether it's the open practice the Pelicans had or the preseason games with, uh, with Zion. So, uh, the, he's certainly connecting with, with, with them already. Yeah. And that's really it for Lonzo is going to be the swing skill. The defense, I think is solid. The passing, the transition, you know, those are already at pretty good levels for the NBA. And, and I agree. His shot looks a lot better. I think, you know, he's not entirely consistent on it yet. You know, I thought in the, uh, I think it was the third preseason game, the, their first home game that he kind of looked off balance a, a little bit on some of those where he's kind of doing the more fade away when he's on the move and he doesn't really have time to get his feet under him. He can kind of still shoot more from mm-hmm. that left side of his body. And also, I think attacking the rim, getting into two point range. I mean, that's, that's something that he's not uh, really. I don't think ever going to be that great. I mean, just has kind of funky form on floaters. He's mm-hmm. doesn't really know the tricks getting into the line, you know, it's having him be, 
you know, a big pick and roll threat is probably still something that's years away uh, if it's ever going to happen. But I mean, just having him hit shots and be a real threat out there who has to be guarded and be a high volume three point attempt guy. I mean, that would be a very nice step forward for him if that can occur this season. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's already been a focus point uh, for New Orleans as a whole is that they're, I, for most of the guys in this roster, it seems like if you're open, shoot it. Uh, and so I think maybe they're over torquing there in the preseason, but it's been, it's been a theme uh, that the Pelicans are not going to be shy from the three-point line, almost no matter who's shooting. Brandon Ingram. Hmm. Um, so, mixed bag here. Um, I think uh, the trick is going to be for him really adjusting to Alvin Gentry's system. I think I think he, he seems willing to really... Uh, to, he's from all the comments from Griffin, from Gentry, he's very coachable and he wants, you know, he, he wants to, to, to be a, a guy who makes a difference for this team. Uh, that said, it's his game hasn't fit perfectly so far. Um, I, I think, uh, he's kind of stopped. You mentioned it at the start of the podcast, but he's, he's stopped the ball a little bit, but also I think it's, he's a work in progress too for, and just fitting again, fitting with the rest of the guys. And I just, I struggle to, uh, make any definitive claims after a few preseason games. Obviously he's a guy who has a lot to prove, uh, from what he was in Los Angeles versus what he's going to be here in New Orleans. But, um, so far again, kind of, uh, kind of a mixed bag from him. Yeah, he's been a little DeRozan-y, uh in kind of a good, a good and a bad way, though he doesn't have quite the jumping mm-hmm. ability or the strength of DeRozan, uh, obviously just going into his fourth year now. Um, but, you know, a slow decisions, not really able to blow by his man, uh, you know, a lot of kind of working into the mid-range and like, all right, maybe I'll be able to Euro step around this guy. But, it, uh, you know, I thought Ben Taylor did a nice video on him of how he's not really beating his man all the way to the room. He's still get he'll kind of get there and he has to go slow and he has to spin or he has to do a long looping crossover and his guy's still in front of him. Maybe he can shoot over him, but that's a, a mid-ranger. Or maybe he can step around him, but he's not really achieving much separation and then he'll kind of get there and not necessarily take the shot right away either you know this is not okay he's stepping in quick couple quick dribbles pull up rise up over the defense it's really multiple dribbles staying on the ball and because he's not beating his man he's not forcing help so a lot of times there aren't obvious passes to be made for him so i think you know i have seen him pass up a lot of three-pointers like he's been a little more aggressive in that area so far i'd still like to see more of it i think he can become a a solid enough shooter you would hope um but yeah i I think in particular it's not quite the way they want to do things moving the ball quickly because they have so many other threats aside from him it really all grinds through all the the thing that it's been where he's been used a lot is drew holiday lonzo ball those guys both love to hit the ball ahead and they'll throw it to him on the wing and then it all grinds to a halt right as he's kind of you know, if he has an opening, he might be able to get there, but he'll get to the free throw line. He kind of doesn't create an advantage. Everything, you know, the defense is able to recover. I find myself wishing that they would just put Zion in that role. Let Zion be the guy who's going to be catch those hit ahead passes in transition and let him attack from the wing instead. And so it's just ultimately I'm finding myself just too much Brandon Ingram, not enough Zion Williamson has been my thought so far early on here. Yeah, fair enough, and uh, and I, I think that's a that's a good good assessment to to date. Um, I, I do think that he does provide something that the Pelicans as a team maybe don't have a ton of, which is the ability to really create for himself in, in isolation. And um, you know, I, I was talking a little bit about it a day or two ago. Is the fact that you know he's a uh, he's a good isolation player, uh, and he was I think around tenth or eleventh in the NBA last year in. Uh, 
points per possession in isolation. That being said, that's one point per possession. So in a, in a vacuum, it's not it's not super efficient. But he's a guy who can go get a bucket, and that can be useful when the game slows down late, uh, and especially with a young team like New Orleans. But uh, but yeah, he's he's there's definitely that, that's that's putting it. Uh, in a more positive light, but there's, there's been definitely been some areas he can, he can work on. So it seems like JJ Reddick and Derek Favors, those are, those acquisitions are two of the reasons that I was really high on the Pels coming in. Doesn't really seem like they've been featured that much so far. Favors in particular offensively. It's, you know, this doesn't seem like to be that pick and roll heavy of a team. Uh, you know, it's not spread pick and roll the way he ran in Utah a lot as the backup center. JJ has been coming off the bench. Uh, are you worried at all the the way they're using these guys, or do you think that's just an artifact of, of preseason? Uh, yeah, I think it's a couple things. Preseason number one, also favors wasn't perfectly healthy to start the preseason, and he had a little um, play, or he was supposed to not play in the open practice they had with fans, uh, and then he didn't. He he's been playing kind of inconsistent minutes. Um, I'm not too concerned about it. I think they're just kind of being careful with him, and then with Reddick, I. I I guess he's just such a vet at this point. You want to get him his minutes and, and let him shoot. But um, I'm not super worried about his his role. Um, the question of whether or not he's a starter or a six man, I think, has been uh, a, a hot topic over the summer. Um, but uh, it looks like he's going to come off the bench. Yeah. What's your feeling on whether he should start or not? So I've been back and forth on this, and I got to say, I'm I was more in team. Uh, Reddick should start and Ingram should come off the bench with with the cab important caveat that I still think Ingram's one of the top maybe three three or four guys in terms of minutes on the team but I really I was I was scared about this team being able to generate half-court offense without any real shooters on the floor and so um, through four games that fear looks to be not as much of a concern because they're just pushing the pace like crazy and even after made shots they're doing whatever they can to avoid the half-court offense and really push the tempo and score quickly or, or get shots up quickly. Um, but I do worry as, as teams start to scout them, as the season kind of drags on, will the floor co- collapse and, you know, can you create enough space uh, with that starting lineup? And so it's a, um, I, I, I think it's still an open question, but it does seem like they're going with, um, it, they're going to go with Ingram as, as the starting three in that lineup. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to me. I, I would have thought that Reddick would be the more natural Lonzo ball replacement than Ingram because Ingram's the only guy they have who can guard opposing mm-hmm. wing players. You know, that, that really, as much as I might carp about him yeah. offensively, I'd like him to play a, a little bit differently. And I think he's taking the opportunities out of the hands of better players. The, the reality is they don't really have anyone else who can defend that position. I mean, that's uh, as a longtime Pels watcher, you know, going back to, uh, each one more at the three or, you know, I mean, maybe Josh Hart would be the, the best other option. And Hart has, has kind of struggled in the preseason and looks to maybe be in danger of being out of the rotation entirely to start things. So, um, yeah, I would have thought it would be Reddick instead of Ball, but, you know, Reddick is, uh, no stranger to coming off the bench and kind of, uh, behind, uh, mm-hmm. heralded 2017 draft point guard prospects. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, I, I guess my, my thought was they, they really like Drew off the ball and, uh, and having Lonzo be that pure point. And he's, he's got enough size, I think, to, to play alongside Drew and, and guard uh, a few different positions that I think that was manageable. And so I think if they had the, the Pelicans had to choose, they'd rather keep Drew at the, at the two and have Lonzo run it. But it, yeah, it, it just, it seems like they're going to start Lonzo and, uh, and Ingram and live with the spacing issues. I've never understood this obsession with Holiday being off the ball. I mean, I think part of it was just, you know, they had point guards and they didn't have any twos or threes. So they just, 
just kind of had that was just their their best players being on the floor uh but like i mean is drew holiday just like some awesome guy coming off of screens that i'm like not aware of or something like nah, he's like an on-ball player like i don't understand why he needs to play off the ball like what do you think the thinking is there yeah it's i think having him as the and it's funny you say that because kind of in, down the stretching games he was he was running the point pretty frequently with with the, the Rajon Rondo caveat there and even towards the end of the season a couple of years ago when he was playing with Rondo uh, Rondo ended up coming off the floor for decent parts of the fourth quarter but uh, I think it's more of maybe it's less about him not being the pure one as having another guy who can take some of the ball handling responsibilities off his plate uh, and having a, a at, at worst two combo guard or other combo guard alongside him, even if it's not a pure point and just having him be able to play off the ball and not have to worry about the offense collapsing when he's another the ball in his hands. Yeah. I, I, I see that point. And I think Lonzo is a good player, obviously. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of time where Lonzo uh, as the backup point could, can play with the second unit some uh, as well. Um, how about the backup wing situation here? Uh, and I guess you can throw Frank Jackson into that too. I mean, between Jackson, Hart, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and Ichuan more put the those guys in order of how many minutes do you think they'll play this year so that's that's jackson hart uh more and uh Nikhil alexander war yeah so i i think it's the reason that's tough is because i think it changes as the season goes on i think i think more will start out getting getting minutes for this team i mean that i think it was gentry made a comment that he wants more to shoot six threes per game uh, and i don't i don't see how that happens personally because i don't think he is a quick enough yeah. trigger and he's just not i don't think he's selfish he, enough he, to take he also those shots, would have but, to play more than like 20 minutes a game too i mean that's yes yeah 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 exactly and so uh, i i think yeah i think more is going to play a lot to start i think the minutes might wane and and shift towards some of the younger guys as the season goes on uh josh hart it's it's really tough to figure out what his role is going to be he's like you say he's got a good size for the guard position at six five he can defend a little bit even in the post and uh so he's got He's got a role, and it's just it's tough to figure out between between him, Frank, and and Nikhil Alexander Walker who's going to start with the minutes. And I think I think uh, so. One thing I've been thinking about, and some of the other guys uh, who cover this team have too, is they've got to figure out what they've gotten Frank Jackson sooner rather than later, and if he's a real rotation guy or not. And he's been good with the ball in his hands; he can shoot it, but he hasn't been able to affect the game in a ton of other ways. And so I, but I do think he will get minutes to start and he'll, they'll allow him to try to prove himself. And if he doesn't stick, I don't think they'll have much of a problem going with Nikhil Alexander-Walker instead because he's had a heck of a summer league a heck of a preseason. So I realized that, that was kind of a cop out in my answer because I didn't really rank them, but I feel like it's going to change as the season progresses, if that makes sense. Yeah, Andrew Lopez, the newly minted ESPN beat reporter, has been saying he thinks Nikhil Alexander-Walker is going to take uh, some guy's minutes. And and he plays with so much flair. He certainly looks great out there. You know, the question of whether the ball is going to go in for him, particularly from three-point range and whether he can be efficient is a question. But, I mean, he is really just a very talented pick-and-roll operator. He makes plays defensively, certainly has the highest upside of that group of guys that, that was mentioned, I think. And so, you know, I think they would – Ultimately, for the long-term future of the franchise, I mean, all these guys have, uh, other than more, have some potential, and it's part of why this is such an intriguing team, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Jackson has looked pretty good in summer league uh, and this year also, and he, he has a discreet skill set he can bring, at least according to David Griffin, who uh, defended him on Twitter yesterday. Um, <laughs> But and for but for Hart, I'm a little troubled that you know he's had still reports of soreness in that knee. There's talk he might miss a preseason game. He ended up playing. Uh, you know, I'm not sure whether he really pushed himself to play. You know, in fear of seeing the writing on the wall that he could 
follow the rotation if he didn't play and make a positive impression um but obviously you know that was a real struggle and i think he was like a 12 week timeline when he first got injured which was like a very or it had that surgery which was uh you know a long time for that sort of a, a knee issue so maybe it's going to take him a while to get back to camp but to me he hasn't looked like the same player you know since really the start of last year he had that wonderful i think it was the summer league mvp in 2018 and then just hasn't really looked like the same guy uh, on either end of the floor but still again has a, a skill set that you think could really fit in here but you know he's he's on a rookie scale deal and maybe you know if reddick slows down or more moves on or something it might be kind of a next year thing for him or he's gonna have to wait for injuries but he seems like he's almost at the bottom of that uh that pecking order at this point in time to me yeah yeah it really might be the case and, and i that i would agree with that assessment at this point in time uh for for sure and i think uh and maybe I, i'd imagine we'll talk about him but i think another guy to consider not a guard but someone who may be playing some minutes on the perimeter for them is uh is Cambridge williams because so, I, I think he's had a pretty good uh preseason too and i think he he brings a lot of the intangibles to the to the team as a guy who can defend, who can rebound, who's really not even looking for his own shot at all, is not going to take any possessions away from anyone else. And so I think he's a guy who's ahead of heart in the rotation too. So I, I, I agree it might be tough for him to get uh, minutes to start out. Yeah, and, and Williams at least kind of looks like he has the size to guard yep. the three. He's a very good rebounder. I mean, I think he's a little slow there. You know, he's a little kind of more towards like a thinner Jared Dudley type uh than you know a real stopper on the wing even though he does have that that level of size front court rotation uh Nicola Melli and Williamson mm-hmm. they've been playing those two guys together uh mm-hmm. I've actually liked what I've seen from Melli uh it, just from an athletic standpoint you know he doesn't look completely overmatched which is you know your fear uh, with that uh archetype of player coming over from Europe yeah yeah he's been a lot of fun to watch and you can tell I mean he's a rookie with I'm using air quotes with that because he's 28 years old and uh he's he's been playing pro basketball for a little while and uh, I mean he's 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 fighting for rebounds he's obviously a good shooter uh I've also liked to see I've liked what I've seen from him in transition so far he's he's willing to push the ball he looks like he knows what he's doing he's he's had a few nice assists already so he, he seems like a very versatile well-rounded player and he like to your point he seems like a great fit in the front court with zion yeah i, I like that i mean that's when we've seen zion look at his most unstoppable in that five out system now are you going to stop anybody with a melly zion uh, zion williamson front court and eh, you know maybe not i mean like a, a melly hasn't looked like atrocious but you know, especially with zion at the point that he's at now as a rookie it, hard to say that that you're going to be mm-hmm. able to protect the rim much and, and Derek favors has started you know he hasn't been healthy i mean i do think this is not necessarily like a spread pick and roll team you know if he's got zion next to him now zion does have his own gravity because you kind of can't really leave him because if he gets a head start at the basket he's just going to go and finish so mm-hmm. you know it's not as tough as a two uh uh, big with no three-point shooting range lineup but can be at times but it's still not a optimal four favors uh and then backup center looks like Jill Okafor uh is well well ahead uh, of where uh Jackson Hayes is uh, at this point their number eight overall pick uh who came out after one year from Texas yeah and I, I think that was always kind of going to be the plan and at New Orleans we were all surprised when New Orleans took three rookies and actually kept kept all the picks um uh, obviously they, they grabbed Didi in the yeah. second round who's who's a stash guy um in in australia this year or new zealand but um but yeah i mean i, I think jackson hayes it was never the plan for him to really come in and instantly be a big big difference maker he's 19 years old he's still kind of growing into his own nba body and so um i think that's it having melly there uh, is going to be pretty critical yeah and uh Okafor to me like looked pretty good he looks as slim as he ever has um you know they were talking on the broadcast the other day about how he's uh 
had like this really bad sleep apnea and now he's actually sleeping better um mm-hmm. you know so i think he's been able to uh you know i don't think he's ever gonna be like some huge winning player on the defensive end but he, he's looked a little bit better again pre this is preseason caveats uh, apply uh, to all of this but it looks like they're probably gonna go with like a four traditional big rotation is that your mm-hmm. impression as well yeah yeah said Melly meant meant okafer but yeah if okafer's i mean the strides he's taken ever since joining new orleans has been great i mean he was always the guy who has the, had the terrible net rating and couldn't def- couldn't defend anyone and he's he's not a good defender but he's he's not the gigantic liability he once was he's a rebounding machine particularly on the offensive end and, and that's you know if, especially if you're going to consider playing so a lot of these small ball lineups that new orleans might be playing rebounding is going to be at a premium and so it's nice to have a guy like okafer you can go to if you're trying to get a uh, trying to get some boards you think we'll see Ingram at the four at all this year? Yeah, I, I do. Um, Zion, I, I presumably don't, at the five. Yeah. Yeah. Zion, the five. You may even see Ingram and Melly together. I, I think they're going to try a lot of different stuff. And that's, that's kind of the, the, one of the cool parts about covering this team this year is that there's everyone's so new. You have really of, of the six to eight top minute getters for the Pelicans this year. It's Drew. And then it, you can make the argument the next, next six to eight guys are going to, are all new players. I mean, there's, there's Frank Jackson, there's Okafer and then, uh, Cambridge Williams and, uh, and each one more and the rest are new. And so, um, I, I do think, you know, you're going to see a lot of different lineup combinations as Gentry tries to figure out what works. So, uh, having followed this team, uh, for a while now now of course they're in the national spotlight with cyan the ad trade as well uh, maybe more than they were really at any time during the ad era which is crazy mm-hmm. to think about they had a top five top seven player in the nba and you know they've <laughs> got way more excitement now with a 19 year old rookie than they ever had with that type of player but zion you know captures people's uh, imagination but mm-hmm. um is there anything that you feel strongly about with this team that's counter to what the the national narrative uh, or reporting has been in the last year or so um yeah it's so it's actually something we talked about a little bit already and it was uh the, the thing that came to mind for me first was how thin this team is at the wing and and you said it i mean this team has historically been thin at the wing i mean you can the, the best threes that that this team has had and since it came to new orleans you know page Stoyakovich, jamal mashburn like these, there aren't many and so uh, I, I think the fact that the yeah, Pelicans one half season of Quincy Pondexter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, uh, but I do think that while they don't have much in the traditional three cents beyond Brandon Ingram, I think they've got a more depth at the wing than they, than you might think on first glance, just because you've got these guys like Josh Hart, uh, and Nikhil Alexander Walker and, and some of, some of these guys who, again, young, but also they have this good wingspan, good size guards. And so you're not talking about the old Pelicans that had you know, some of these really small guys like Rondo, who maybe had that defensive, uh, reputation, but was not good at it by any stretch of that, at that spot. And so they've got, they've got these guards who they can play some three guard lineups and, and I think get by to more of an extent than may, they may have been able to do, uh, historically, uh, even though that they're kind of thin, uh, from a traditional small forward perspective. And the thing I always come back to with that is how many of those big wings are there in the NBA that are truly going to beat you? And even, and now with this year, there's, there's even fewer of them because of some of the injuries that happened, uh, last year. So, uh, so there, there aren't a ton that I'm really, that are going to scare me night in and night out. And I think the Pelicans may be better off than, uh, one might expect, uh, in that regard. Yeah, and we'll see whether Ingram really is necessary to guard those players. I mean, certainly offensively, I think there are guys who can be better fits uh, than him. But uh, defensively, again, I mean, they they would have killed for a Brandon Ingram to be able, uh, someone of his size, to be able to guard uh, on the wing in some of these past 
Pelicans teams that, you know, those players don't grow on trees. So you got to kind of deal with some of their offensive flaws. Uh, um, and it's tough to move him up to the four because Zion really is kind of, I think he's really kind of got to be a four. I, I don't think he's ready to defend at the five uh, at, at NBA level. It'll be fun. I hope we see it, but uh, you know, those, those lineups probably aren't going to stop anybody. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe they could go to some switching units there, but, and Bizdelic obviously has a lot of, um, experience with that in houston but it doesn't from what i've seen i haven't seen them do any switching in the preseason have you um not not a mu- not much but um i do think uh s- schematically they're they're trying just in general to be a little bit more aggressive and uh i've got so my my podcast co-host for in the know schmidt he's actually working on something right now about this so he's been he's been deep into the kind of how, how the pelicans are changing schematically this year and, um, you know, they were a little bit more conservative last year. And so their drop coverage strategy and, you know, they want to, they want to be, you know, make that defense more aggressive. They want to be able to use that length and athleticism and force, you know, force opponents to make multiple decisions and, and, and really put pressure on the point of attack and, and, and against screens. So, uh, you're going to see some changes schematically defensively for them for sure. Um, but, uh, I'm, and, you know, and it's one of those things I think Gentry's going to feel out his personnel and, and they'll probably make changes throughout the season, the whole staff. Yeah. And that's something that does make sense to, for this group favors above average mobility for a center of Zion is really quick as well you got sharks like lonzo and uh, drew holiday also so yeah you can put pressure on and that uh, will fuel uh, what uh, projects to be a devastating transition game where maybe that's how you can get this defense to be really good when maybe just lining up okay we're gonna get into rotations and everyone has to be perfect yeah, maybe that's not realistic with a group uh, that's this young so uh, ultimately i i think to me the biggest key and something that I'm a little lower on now than I was at the start of the preseason. I thought these guys would actually be really good defensively. Uh, Zion's been a little bit below where I was hoping. Uh, they, they kind of just uh, overall have not looked incredibly stout, but they've been outscoring teams and looking pretty good at times. But what do you think this team's defense projects to be this season? Yeah, uh, it's a really tough question because it's, uh, it, it's, you, you have a lot of defensive talent or defensive potential, I should say, but you've got a lot of youth, uh, and you've got, a team that wants to run, run, run. And it's the, the higher pace you play at, the harder it can be to really sustain a, a strong defense in terms of, you know, points allowed per, per hundred possessions of efficiency perspective. So, um, I think they've got the, the talent, uh, and they've got the athleticism for sure. Uh, the question is a, can they get some of the young guys, uh, up to even league average quickly? Uh, can the players learn to communicate, trust each other, play together when you have such high turnover, uh, from year to year? And then how much does pace impact their ability to defend uh, at, at a high level and get stops consistently when you're trying to run that much? Yeah, and now uh, Darren Ehrman is gone. Uh, they moved on from him. Jeff Bizdelic comes over from the Rockets. Uh, and But Alvin Gentry has never really been a guy who's helmed a, a great defense. I mean, at times, like the, the second round year, two years ago, they had some moments once Cousins went down defensively. But it, it doesn't seem like that is a, a huge focus. Now, I mean, at least he has guys who can come in and you know if someone isn't executing defensively he's got the ability to replace them which you don't have for young players uh, on some teams Mm -hmm. but yeah i'm still i mean i don't want to shovel dirt on them in the after just the the preseason and i do think ingram looks a little bit better in particular as a health defender he's actually made some plays at the basket which you don't Mm -hmm. see much from him in his la days but i'm not feeling quite as right maybe i'm just a uh 
being seduced by the incredibly high pace they've been playing at like that that uh that atlanta game the first quarter of the preseason they had 32 possessions in that quarter so they're playing at a crazy high pace Mm -hmm. so far um but yeah i don't know if i can quite jump onto these guys as a top 10 defense the way i was really kind of hoping that they would be and maybe that's just you know i should pay more attention to the personnel but it's just they are pretty young and they're gonna run and gun and i think uh zion i'm just uh a little worried that he's not quite there yet uh defensively uh and i think he could be a weak link for them as of now um if you had to handicap what you think they'll rank in defense what do you think it'll be uh i i think i think if this was a team that was going to play lear league average pace uh i i think i could i could see them get it finding their way into the top 10 just because of the personnel they have and um and and you know, like I said already once before, it's it's going to be a process for this team, given the youth and given the turnover. Uh, where where they start the year is not going to be where they finish. Um, so over, for over a season long, it's I think I think a, a league average defense or some, something slightly above average would be would be nice. Um, and on, honestly, if they're going to even think about making the playoffs this year, they they probably got to get somewhere around around that top ten mark. But I think more likely, if they can if they can get somewhere if they can get a little bit better than league average, and and you know as well as I do that when when you're talking about but uh, defensive rating, the 20th and the 10th team are probably separated by what, like a point or two per possession, per hundred possessions. So um, I don't want to yeah. you know, pigeonhole there, but uh, something around there. Yeah. I mean, I had hoped, I mean, when I went through and just kind of ranked these teams before preseason, I had them as uh, now in a huge tier of s- through six to 14, I had them as the number seven overall defense. And I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of guys on this team, right? Drew, mm-hmm. Lonzo, Derek Favors. I mean, those are like three pretty solid defensive players yep. in your starting lineup. Ingram has been pretty average. And, you know, I think Zion is really going to struggle, you know, especially getting through screens, uh, and with help responsibilities. And then if they do go with more Zion at center type of lines, which I think they should. I mean, they really got like this season for all it would be nice to win. It's really about, uh, Zion Williamson's development, number one, because he's just this generational talent. But I think when Favors is off the floor, I would expect them to probably really struggle. If Okafor is going to get time, you know, he, he's not going to be a huge plus there. So maybe when they go to certain lineups, they could defend at that level. But I think, you know, yep. it, it could kind of fall apart for them when Holiday's off the floor or, or when Favors is off the floor. Then I could see them being, you know, kind of below a 20th ranked type of level with those units. So yeah, maybe I think I would have them, you know, kind of in that in that 12 to 17 type of range again with the caveat that you know a slight increase or decrease in terms of your effectiveness can really bump you up or down uh, in the league there yeah yeah um any big strengths that you see for this group we talked about transition uh, obviously athleticism is uh is pretty good <laughs> for, mm-hmm. for for these guys uh, but anything we haven't talked about yet that sticks out to you as a strength no i mean i think we had on a lot of it the things i had written down or you know it was the your athletic athleticism point was one uh just overall defensive talent so guys that you think should be plus defenders uh in in, in theory and then one thing I, I think just bears mentioning given the pelicans teams of the past is is, is their depth i mean you've got a bunch of the Pelicans now have a problem of there's a rotation player or two that would maybe get minutes for most teams that won't get minutes in New Orleans. And it's usually been the opposite. You know, they've had the base, the star cast, whether you want to talk about DeMarcus Cousins or Drew or AD, and then the the, the, the gigantic fallout from there. I mean, the, you, you, who's the fourth and fifth best players were, you know, maybe ninth or 10th best players in other teams. And now you've got the opposite issue where not as much star talent. Uh, obviously you've got, 
Zion's a generational talent, but he's a rookie and then Drew. But then you've got a bunch of guys who can, can really get, who get and will get and deserve minutes. And then you've got a couple, like we talked about Josh Hart, uh, probably will get minutes for some other teams. And maybe he's not, he's a guy who's the odd man out here. So, um, I think their depth is, and that's a, that's typically a pretty strong regular season plus. And then when you get to the playoffs, it starts to be minimized a little bit, um, whether or not this team makes playoffs. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I'd say though, the depth is really something that's new and, and nice for New Orleans fans that really haven't been used to much in the way of uh of quality depth yeah and you mentioned that there's seems like a number of ways this season could go as long and they have just such a, a surfeit of assets right now that if they have a hole and they wanted to, to bring someone in i mean in theory they could even trade for a star they could probably put together like one of the best offers for bradley beal if they really wanted to go that route uh and beal would actually be a, an amazing fit here but <laughs> i i don't foresee that happening just through the fact that beal could could maybe leave but they if they have like a weakness that they really need to shore up and it looks like this team you know john hollinger i think had them with 44 wins and and making the playoffs um that they could maybe shore up a, a weakness or two you know with some second rounders or, or or something like that they have so many draft picks going forward as well or you know moving a josh hart or something like that to a team that might be interested in him uh or you could see it going the other way with etan moore has been a, a valuable player reddick maybe you know if, if it looks like they still have a long way to go maybe they could move him to a contender he could really help a team uh, as well um mm-hmm. it, so there are uh, favors is another one too, where if, if they fall out of it, he's an expiring contract. He could really help, you know, say a team like Boston, you know, I think he'd look really good in a Boston uniform, a two-way center I mean, favors is, you know, probably a top 20 center in the NBA and he doesn't have a ton of weaknesses. So yeah. I'm, uh, have his, yeah, that have his bird rights I'm very too, interested so. to see yep. the direction it goes. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's, uh, so, um, um let's see here uh weaknesses i think they're gonna have a lot of turnovers when you play in transition ball is a big turnover guy zion is a rookie you know i think he's gonna he's so explosive and he's able to do these superhuman things but he tries to fit it through a lot of small spaces he makes some advanced passes those can get picked off uh, as well you know just generally a young team that's gonna play fast they're probably gonna turn the ball over um their overall free throw percentage probably isn't going to be very good when you throw in Ingram and Zion are their two biggest free throw guys. Lonzo has struggled from the line historically in his career. Drew doesn't get there that much. They've, that's been long been a, a talking point that he should get followed more or, or get more calls that he gets fought a lot and doesn't get calls. But, um, so their two biggest free throw guys are probably going to be like pretty rough free throw shooters. Um, yeah, that, that's, uh, a slight concern. Anything else stick out to you that we haven't talked about yet? No, I mean, and I don't, I don't know if we've talked about the lack of shooting maybe enough just because, and, and again, I think the Pelicans are going to really try yeah. to double down on pace and space being, let's just, let's just double down on pace and then hope that the spacing issues are less of a concern yeah. if we just double on pace. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, the shooting is still a problem. I mean, it's, it's a situation where if you don't have JJ Redick on the floor, uh, they've got no guys who are both willing to shoot and are, uh, are players who teams are going to say shit and go out and make sure they defend and so um well as the season goes on and again as as teams start to scout this pelicans roster and figure out the best ways to defend them can they create space can they create shots can they create efficient offense in the half court setting and i think that's a, a pretty big tbd yeah and i'm also worried about reddick just becoming kind of an afterthought with these guys i mean he he is just such an underrated offensive player but you got to actually use him you got to have him sprint off those screens run those two-man actions i mean they should be running uh, there's a lot of stuff for him that i think they should be running that I, I haven't seen much of in the preseason i think he should be getting a lot of minutes with zion i'd love to see him doing those same kind of handoff plays that he did with joel Embiid in philly i'd love to see him 
doing the pick and pops that he would do with Ben Simmons, but do that with Zion where he sets the screen at the free throw line. Philly ran that a lot late in games and then sprints out to the three point line. Like that would be absolutely unguardable him screening uh, for Zion. Uh, Same thing with the, you know, the handoffs to him at the arc in transition, you know, Zion could do a lot of that same way as they did with Ben Simmons, but it doesn't seem, and maybe again, that's just preseason. He's a vet, whatever. It doesn't seem like they have like a big package there for him. And and I'm worried he's just going to come in and just, you know, be some like Troy Daniels type off the bench because they're just not going to focus on him enough. And I think that even the way he plays, uh, he has so much gravity sprinting off those screens that sometimes he is the only shooter that you need. He can, he can create two on the ball and let you operate when he's flying off those screens. So, uh, I hope that they are going to use him more and he's not going to just get lost in the shuffle as they really try to focus on ball and Ingram, at least for, uh, their, their, uh, fortunes this year. Yeah. And I, I don't, I haven't heard one person, uh, on the New Orleans side that's concerned about that. I mean, I think it's, I think we pretty much everyone's accepted the fact that he's not going to start, but I think, I don't think there's anyone who thinks he'll be anything other than the sixth man. I mean, I, I think, I think there's a pretty solid belief that he's going to be a 25 minute a night type guy, uh, who, 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 who plays a lot with some, with most of the starters and, and Zion included in that. So, um, the, the, your concerns are certainly fair and cause we've, been trying to figure out you know what this team's going to look like and we haven't seen a lot of jj reddick and so it's hard to piece it all together um but i i would still be shocked if he's not used uh the way that and, and to really help this team you know spread the floor and 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 create some some mismatches on offense yeah i certainly acknowledge those concerns could be uh, overblown a, a little bit i i'm uh I, i'm nervous because i really want these guys to succeed like they could just be so entertaining i i yeah. hope that they can take a a step forward this year um all right let's uh let's do some predictions for uh this pelicans season uh i will let you go first uh in terms of number of wins sure so i've i've got them around 500 i think maybe a little maybe a game or two below 500 is my i guess median outcome i i that i think there's a super wide standard deviation on that just because of the questions around some of these guys uh especially zion and the lakers folks um but uh but i I think if i had to you know pinpoint one number maybe something like 40 wins yeah i'll go with 40 also i i took the over on their 38 and a half but i see a very big range with this group uh you know you mentioned the defense i'm a little lower on the defense well i'll tell you what i'm a little higher on the offense now after (laughs) you know if zion williamson is going to shoot 70 percent on 15 shots a game uh you know spacing be damned it's probably going to help your offense (laughs) a lot right like so i mean if he's really just going to be this good right away i think he's exceeded my expectations offensively in the preseason if even if he's uh been below them defensively so yeah i mean i think this could be potentially an above average offense especially if they're just running the ball down your throat like this and i expect them to do a pretty darn good job of that so i I agree with you i think this team has a lot of upside like i could see them getting to 50 wins very easily i mean i think they could like you could make a case i mean again this is i'm not predicting this but i could see them being a top 10 team on both ends possibly if if everything breaks right i I realize there's the issue with the shooting i think they could bog down in the half court uh they might struggle to score at the end of games especially if they're uh not going to zion at the end of the games which you know i think like oh he's a big we can't go to him but you know his ball handling is good enough i think you should anyway but Mm -hmm. uh you know, I, I think they're not going to do that. Duke didn't do that. You know, I, I, that's part of why my concern here too is just that, like, 
I've seen him get underutilized before because he's just he doesn't have that type of personality to demand the ball there's you have to really like find a way to get it to him there's not that many ways you can just give it to him and have him attack but I think they should do that um and start grooming him for that role but I mean if he's just that good and you know they got a lot of pretty decent offensive players on this team and and you know so much depends on ball and Ingram as well uh you know those are two below average offensive players so they're they would need to take a big step forward especially from a spacing standpoint but like i could see this group with 50 wins uh not easily but certainly possible this is fun because last time we did this whether i can't remember if it was two or three years ago and i was i was way higher on the team than you are and i i even you know we you asked you asked about best case scenario for this team and i didn't even have 50 wins on there i had i had mid to high 40s i don't i couldn't get myself to 50 um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, like if everything goes right, Zion's the clear rookie of the year, Drew Holiday makes the all-star team, Ingram and, uh, and Lonzo are both, you know, they figure out what was whatever they got out of the Lakers, uh, or get out of Los Angeles and figure things out. I mean, there's, there's a path to this team being a very tough first round out, uh, for, for one of the top four seeds. And so I could, I could see it something like that. Uh, what about a worst case scenario? Uh, I, I, I think I've got them. And so I, we, I take injuries off the table for this or just say, you know, assume, assume league average yeah. or normal injury issues. And I'd say, I'd say 30 wins. Um, you know, you've got Zion is, I, I, I find it hard to, to predict him not being rookie of the year at this point, which is crazy to say already, but just after seeing four preseason games. But, um, there's, I mean, you could have Drew Holiday not be able to keep up the efficiency with the increased workload on offense for him. Um, the, the Lakers guys are who we thought they were in Los Angeles. Uh, to your points, about Reddick that the Pelicans either don't use him optimally or he just really hits the aging curve more than we expected. So there are, there are pathways to this team not being as good as we expected. And I think I'd say around 30 wins might be their floor or maybe a tick lower than that. Yeah. And maybe Reddick and Favors aren't on the team anymore. I mean, yep. uh, I don't sure. think this will happen given the way they've talked, but maybe, you know, if they really disappoint, maybe Drew Holiday. So to say, you know, I, I'd kind of rather be somewhere else, uh, you know, to where I have a chance to win now. And this group looks further away uh, than that. Again, I don't, I mean, he's in the third year of that deal. You know, I was kind of saying they should be exploring the trade market for him. Um, you know, I think given how good Zion looks right now, maybe that makes more sense that they didn't. And they obviously have so many assets from the AD trade mm-hmm. as well. I think you, you got to give this uh, weird group a try and try and figure out what you have in these guys. And, and Drew provides an important level of stability on both ends. But, you know, maybe there's an outside possibility that if it really goes poorly, he can just say, hey, you know what? I, I think I'd rather uh, be on a contender at, you know, age 28 or, or whatever he is right now. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. They've, they've, the only thing I'll say on that is they, and I think, I think you know this too. And, and as an ex- I know it's an extreme example, but they've, they've really made him the face of the franchise. Everything with Zion be damned. Drew Holiday is, is the guy in New Orleans. And like, and he's a, he's a great ambassador for the team and so yeah things would have to go immensely wrong i think for that to be on the table but i think I've, at all the other points that regarding uh you know they could trade reddick they could trade favors i think that that would all be cer- certainly be on the table if things go south anything else uh, that's really stuck out to you in preseason or that you want to say about these guys we didn't have a chance to talk about before we go um i'd say that one thing so we talked about starters i think what's going to be super interesting with this team is who finishes and so uh, i I, yeah. I think it i think it'll be very Massive dependent to start, but I think, I mean, you've obviously got Zion mainstay. You've got Drew Holiday mainstay. I think Reddick has to be in there closing out. I think you've got to have that lethal shooter in. And so from there, the question is, is Zion at the five? Are you, or it's, it's, it's favors. It's, it's Ingram and it's Lonzo. It's two of those three guys. And so who's the odd man out? And I think those are, those are the interesting questions. 
Um, I, so I am curious to get your thoughts on that. And, and we, we can talk about how it's probably a little matchup dependent, but is there a clear finishing five that you would go with for this team? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think probably Reddick for ball would be my thought there. Uh, again, to get the shooting on the floor. Um, yeah, I mean, it, maybe they would consider going with Melly instead of favors at times. I and mean, we'll see how good that unit looks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I imagine we're going to see a lot of offense defense substitutions you know i don't it's again doesn't strike me that Derek favors is going to have the offensive impact that he had in utah but they're going to need him defensively you would think so i think a lot depends on the matchups maybe you have uh lonzo ball playing the three or i guess probably more accurately drew holiday would be playing the three defensively and ball and reddick in the backcourt you take out ingram but you know he, he's got a lot of equity built up maybe you would go with those three guards ingram and zion Mm-hmm. Uh, and leave favors out. Yeah, there's a lot of optionality there. I think they're going to really have to decide on it. But uh, to me, if I were running things, I would be alternating probably between Ball and Ingram, uh, Redick in, and you know the other uh, four starters. Uh, that mm-hmm. would be what I would be going with. But I find it extremely difficult to predict because of the equity that a reddick or a favors has is how does that compare to the equity that brendan ingram and lonzo ball have as prospects and guys who might be a part of the future as well are you going offense are you going defense uh it's a fascinating question yep yeah absolutely and that's it it really it it really is uh it's interesting for that in that regard too because this team's got to figure out even exactly with brendan ingram he's going to be restricted next summer and so they've got to see what they've got in some of these guys and so you're maybe you're finishing five in certain situations isn't optimal but it's it going to be questions. you think there's no way <laughs> yeah. yeah sorry you think there's no way that he gets extended um oh before the de- oh before the not- deadline yeah i don't think there's any way i think that the- both sides are in it's in both sides best interest to let this thing play out yeah well, well we'll see whether it is or not we'll see what kind of year uh he has i mean it looks like he's going to be given a, enough uh you know thrown into the deep end he can either sink a or swim Mm -hmm. uh he's gonna have plenty of opportunities and we'll see whether uh he's able to do anything with it uh, or not and whether that in fact uh inures to his benefit uh or to the team's benefit uh or neither (laughs) uh but yeah that that'll be really interesting i mean we we could look back at this and he's like okay you know he he really was a terrible fit with Zion and Lonzo. Those guys look good. He doesn't. They're not really that interested in retaining him. He, he doesn't prove that he can shoot the ball. He doesn't prove that he can make quick decisions. He's kind of average defensively and he's not a huge part of their long-term plans uh or he, he could prove himself as indispensable to, at the most important position in basketball so uh yeah it's uh and obviously there's the health issues those seem to be fine by by all accounts but obviously uh you know something that could in theory recur the, the hope is that it won't um so yeah that's a that's gonna be really interesting um all right well so where can we keep up with your stuff uh this season you are uh you have your own podcast uh, as you mentioned yeah yeah so still with uh with bourbon street shots and uh, uh myself and and, uh, and Schmidt Dua, our co-host of In the Know, which is uh, our Bourbon Street Shots podcast and on the uh, Blue Wire Network. So it's uh, we've been doing it for about a year now. Took over for the guys, uh, McNamara and Schwan, who did the podcast for literally years. And so we've uh, we've had a lot of fun with it and looking forward to keep going throughout the year. 
yeah, when I don't get a chance to watch a Pels game uh, and I'm in the car, I'll definitely uh, be given that uh, a listen to catch up uh, what's going on uh, with this team because there's so many players uh, and so many variables with this group. Thanks a lot. This was fun. It was good uh, having you here to wrap our heads around the this team, which uh, you know is going to be incredibly exciting, but also uh, confounding. So we appreciate it. Thank you. So before we bring on Ethan Strauss of The Athletic, it's a great time to tell you about how awesome The Athletic is. And Ethan, we're going to talk about this piece in in just a second here wrote an awesome discussion on how Steve Kerr and the rest of the NBA should be dealing with this quagmire in China how they can deal with the PR issues that have arisen really good stuff absolutely a must read I could not do my job without the athletic I could not do my job frankly all these team previews without help from the athletics writers they are just that good every market now in the NBA great national writers uh, as well if you don't know what the athletic is it's a subscription-based model of smarter sports coverage for diehard fans they're not going to waste your time with some newser like you get with the regular paper about oh so and so has a calf pull and he's going to miss three days it's actual real value added stuff and because they don't make their writers waste time looking for clicks just to feed the ad machine they can just write much better content they can spend time talking to sources watching the game doing video breakdowns anthony slater who we're gonna have on tomorrow is another great athletic writer and they really just have fantastic outposts in all of your nba markets uh, at this point if you're a subscriber you get access to all the national all the local nba coverage their podcasts uh, are really good as well ethan's podcast is on the athletic as well now so subscribe to them. Go to theathletic.com slash capspace. Easy to remember slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. You can get 40% off a yearly subscription that comes out to $2.99 a month when you subscribe at theathletic.com slash capspace. Once again, theathletic.com slash capspace. So I want to bring in Ethan Strauss now. Uh, Ethan, we were texting about this last night and try, sending some opinions back and forth uh, on what we thought of LeBron James' comments last night in the media scrum, uh, which he later clarified. So I was like, oh, let's just stop texting about this and I can just have you on the show and we'll figure out what we think of this uh, or exchange our views. So uh, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you doing, man? Pretty good. And uh I do a good job of pretending like we weren't just talking for five minutes before. I, I know, I know. It was also there. I, I had no curiosity about how you were actually doing, and I really gave you no information when you asked how I was doing. It was yeah, so well, perfunctory. People, <laughs> people are actually really thrown off when you like legitimately answer that question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Nobody wants negative. Nobody wants anything negative. That's that's yeah. you know. They don't even like, want you to like to think about it either. They want you to just respond to me. Like sometimes I have to really think about how I'm doing. If I'm going to respond. This is why you need to have a kid, Nate, because now I just have something to throw at people that makes them feel okay. Like, yeah, he's enjoying blah 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 blah. It just gets the whole thing out of the way. It's a great reason to have children. Yeah. Well, so I mean, the the other thing in the NBA that everyone says is, you know, it's not how you're doing. It's uh, you good, you good. You good? You good? You good? Raymond yeah. Ritter, Warriors PR man, legend, always saying, "You good? You good?" Nate Duncan. Nate no, Duncan. no, no. He he says he says 
everything good? Everything good? Everything good? Everything like, good? So uh-huh. The cooler people just shorten it to, uh, you good? You good? You good. You good. Sh- I like Shams it. is a big, uh, you good guy. I like you good. I also like on the East Coast, go ahead. I like that. Uh, uh, that's a good, that's a brief one. I mean, that's not inquiring how somebody's doing, but I like go ahead as opposed to go ahead. Um, but uh, man, are we just, are we just dancing around this China issue, Nate? Not to that's, commandeer that's your right. podcast. We just, we're just two more obfuscating Mm, it's very complicated. Journalists. Very complicated. Let's talk about American uh, greetings, you know, for a while. Let's yeah. do that. Let, let's hit. Let's hit uh, on LeBron's thing here first. Uh, obviously, he created a firestorm last night. He called Daryl Morey's tweet uh, uneducated and misinformed. When I first saw that, I saw it on Twitter. I was like, "Oh my god, this guy sounds like he's just like parroting Chinese communist talking points uh, about." hong kong i then looked at the context and i felt like okay he didn't really mean that he was talking about more he just wasn't thinking about what the consequences of his tweet would be and in fact he later clarified that in his own tweet Here, here's what he said there let me clear up the confusion i do not believe there's any consideration for the consequences and ramifications of the tweet i'm not discussing the substance others can talk about that My team in this league just went through a difficult week. I think people need to understand what a tweet or statement can do to others. And I believe nobody stopped and considered what would happen. Could have waited a week to send it. Your thoughts? I think there is a plausible scenario where by uneducated, he meant that Maury couldn't possibly have known the implications of what he was about to unleash. But I also don't know if it matters what LeBron actually thought or what was going on in his own head. We don't have evidence that Michael Jordan ever said that Republicans buy sneakers, too. It's just what got branded within the culture, and that's what we run with. And in this case, we actually do have evidence that LeBron said what he said, that it came off how it came off, that it did look like he was saying that Maury was uneducated about the situation he was tweeting about, which is what China would want you to think um, without any elaboration. That is a frustration point for me. It's this idea of uh, obfuscating, but then no follow up, right? Not even explaining why these things are complicated, as Kerr said, which I guess we will get to. It came off that way. It came off like he was parodying uh, China's talking points. And I think people in large part, understandably, were very, very pissed off by it. It makes sense to me that they're pissed off by it. It's a terrible look. Yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of pissed off by it when I first read it. The headline is uh, is LeBron calls Maury's tweet misinformed. I mean, that's even on ESPN.com, which, as we know, has their own reasons for not trying to inflame this too much. Uh, that shows up, uh, and, you know, that's a very inflammatory headline. And, again, you know, I just knowing a little bit about LeBron, I think he was – really not trying to comment on whether he agrees with the protests or not in Hong Kong, whether the substance of Maury's tweet uh, saying that Hong Kong people were fighting for freedom uh, was accurate or not. But, you know, that's the word choice that he made it, and he's going to have to live with that. And very few people, frankly, are even going to be as understanding as I was. And I still think it was uh, not only colossally stupid to phrase it the way he did, but also just ridiculous to focus upon Daryl Morey as the villain here. Although Daryl could have been more considerate. We could talk about now, that. Now, now uh, do you want to hear but, something interesting? Yeah. Which is that, that... No, I, I'm, I don't want to hear anything interesting. Oh, never mind. Well, anyway... Um... <laughs> Uh, the Warriors-Lakers game last night, the Warriors-Lakers preseason game last night would definitely fall into that category. But 
Um, okay, so what's interesting to me is how many people within the league liked what LeBron said. Oh, I yeah. know of some executives who liked what LeBron said, that it's not just NBA players. It's coaches, it's GMs, front office types. I believe... And this is why this is just a fascinating situation. I mean, there were so many aspects to it that they've really lost the plot. They've lost the plot. The NBA has the people within it. I think this is, this is what maybe this is sports. Maybe we see it in other companies, but to get to a high level within the NBA, you need to be myopically focused and just care about the NBA and how it's doing. I don't think they possibly can fathom how this is all coming off to the outside, uh, the outside world and to many fans. And I think they're going to get surprised at how unpopular this all is and the damage they're causing themselves. And part of what's happened that they're not really tracking, if we want to broaden the conversation beyond basketball, and I wrote about it in an article on TV ratings in the NBA, is that many Americans are turning on China, that it went drip, 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 and then the dam burst. There was a yep. watershed. We went from in 2017 in Pew polling, uh, 44% of Americans having an, uh, a favorable view of China to about two months ago, the polling saying it's now 24%. It is nosediving as the United States and China are engaged in a trade war, as a lot of Americans are suddenly saying to themselves that they don't like the policy that's been pursued over the last two decades to open up trade, and they don't like that the manufacturing base has been given to China, and they increasingly certainly don't like that China's trying to flex its muscle and determine not just what happens within China, but what Americans are saying about China, which is what is happening here. Make no mistake, they want Maury fired and made an example of. Um and so as this is going on, the NBA is effectively trying to maintain an intense relationship, a profitable relationship with a country that perhaps Americans are going to look at in the way they were looking at the Soviet Union in the 70s and the 80s. It is an ugly, if not untenable, situation of the trend lines continue the way they're going. And this actually could be a total layup for them domestically, right? In my initial comments on this, I noted that anytime you can get uh, Beto and Ted Cruz to agree on something and agree that you screwed up, you're probably doing it wrong. Well, and you get for liberal people, the human rights aspects really appeal of standing up to China. And for more conservative people, the nationalist aspects would yeah. appeal more. And so now they're really getting the the worst of both worlds domestically. And, you know, you've made this point that they focus too much on the international stuff and not enough on domestically. But if they did want to stand up, yeah, it probably could have hurt their China business quite a bit. And I, you know, I think they've done a decent job. But, you know, if any NBA players or the league were like, no, like, we're just going to say what we're going to say and you're going to deal with it. And if we say this stuff, China, go ahead and ban us. We, we actually have more leverage than you think we do. Uh, that would be so incredibly popular here it would be, at, at it would- home. It would be incredibly popular, but I think they and other corporations are making a choice. They're looking at the United States and they're saying, hey, this market effectively has been tapped out versus China, 1.5 billion people, suddenly a, a middle class that is emerging and growing by the day. There is so much potential. This is where we're going to make our money. We cannot grow the game. We cannot grow the business in, in the U.S., which is maybe why they ignore it. We're choosing this. Now, it turns out that that comes with some strings attached, that China 
arbitrarily can rip away all your money and all your sweat work and all your years of investment. Um, and so it is quite precarious. Uh, all money isn't good money, perhaps. But yeah, in, a, in an alternate reality, they could have been intensely popular domestically. But it is so vital in their estimation. And this is just how business works, which is that it always needs to keep growing, keep growing, keep growing. These guys, they buy these NBA teams on the idea that it's going to keep accruing value, keep accruing value. And so there was just no chance of that happening, that they effectively um, are going to choose uh, Chinese uh, Chinese feelings over American feelings on this one. And boy, what a bad look it is. And I know I'm seeing a lot of this pushback, and I think it misses the point this particular strain of it, this kind of whataboutism of, well, we're not so moral or who are we to judge the morality? I'm seeing that sort of argument. I, I think that it is whataboutism and it can be critiqued, but that's not even what I'm saying in this instance. I think a lot of Americans and American fans would be willing to look the other way on this if they felt better about China and if China was perceived as an ally of the United States. They would not get their dander up about the Uyghurs. I don't think that is what would happen. But what many are missing is that they're angry because they perceive this as the superpower that is throwing its weight around and trying to supplant the United States. That increasingly this is a country that is not just a rival but a threat. That is what they are angry about. And seeing some of our most prominent citizens, seeing athletes, the people we hold up as the the strongest heroes for everybody to look up to, groveling to this perceived threat that is trying to perhaps supplant the United States and become the big dog. I mean, just set morality aside. It, it, it cuts at people in a nationalistic way that I don't think that the people within the NBA are prepared for or can see or even begin to understand what they're meddling with and the downsides. That's my position. I could be wrong. These things are hard to predict, but at least that's my read on the situation. Looking at it, seeing the fan response, um, that's, that's just my initial read on it. We'll see. Yeah, see, I think to me... Putting the focus on Moria, and you mentioned there are other people in the league who feel similarly uh, to uh, the way LeBron feels that, you know, Daryl Morey fucked with their money, basically. Um, you know, and I think there is an argument to be clear that Daryl could have done this better. I've talked about that before, both in actually supporting the Hong Kong cause and also in, you know, not screwing over everyone else in the NBA. I mean, and China certainly has put everyone in a very difficult position here because, like I was talking about with Bill yesterday, where you're not only, it's not only a personal financial decision if you're going to speak out against China, but now you're ruining everything for your colleagues and you're facing that kind of pressure as well. And perhaps it's unrealistic for all of those people to say, hey, you know what? No, it's not that guy, Daryl Morey, who spoke out. But actually, no, it's the uh, the Chinese uh, Communist Party that we actually yeah. should have a problem with here. But I do agree with you where this incident should display to people that you better have a contingency plan on this money not being there. It is outside of your control. You are at the whim of an authoritarian regime and there aren't really any rules to the to it right like no. steve kerr retweeted a pro hong kong tweet three weeks ago got no notice bob vulgaris is an nba employee he or, or at least contractor he tweets uh stuff promoting awareness about human rights abuses yeah. in china I, all the time i, I you doubt know, no one cares about I, that right? I doubt kyrie irving is going to mess with his sneaker money but we don't know what yeah. he'll say tomorrow and then what does the nba do what does the nba do if one of its stars just decides to grow a conscience on this 
I mean, well, uh, and yeah. how can you not feel resentment? I mean, as an NBA player or or an executive of, oh my God, I am just put in this crazy situation where just one little tiny slip up is going to cost the league so much money. Like you should, I would feel resentment towards China that they put me in that ridiculous situation. I feel resentment towards it that even you know my colleagues like at espn can't say anything and they're in the same situation you know i really felt for them and that you know the situation is less of their making you know individual espn reporters than it is someone like lebron who's actively engaged with china so it's uh i mean it gets back to the reality that just too few people are willing to acknowledge which is uh hey you know this authoritarian regime uh kind of sucks and uh you know it's their fault that all this is happening not individual actors who uh, ran afoul of them because that's going to happen anyway like they're not particularly rational and you know that there's obviously a lot of issues uh, with that and, regime uh, and from, it's you know, an and American again standpoint. it's 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 a bigger topic than basketball and a lot of our conversations within the united states about free speech they're abstract and they're they are difficult conversations i don't think we were ever prepared for this eventuality where um all of the mega corporations would highly invest in a totalitarian regime, which would then use their leverage to try to restrict speech within the United States, which we are seeing increasingly occur. Um, there is a growing list. Uh, what was that? Uh, no opinion. I can't remember. Noah, what's his face was tweeting out a link to all the corporations that are acceding to the censorship demands. And you've got instances yeah. like with Marriott, where the guy running their social media account, um, likes a tweet from a Tibetan separatist group because I guess there was some error within Marriott and they accidentally acknowledged Tibet and that tweet was uh, saying hell yeah effectively and that guy gets fired because yeah. of China's Bill pressure. Bill was talking about that yesterday uh, on the yeah. show. So the, I yeah. mean, I think the NBA it's done better than those corporations have done. To be it, clear, it but has, but but I guess they I, also I, have more I, leverage than those corporations do. I, yes, they have they have more leverage. But I guess what I'm saying is that people are looking at you know what is the future here? You know what is the future? Is it too paranoid to believe that? Um, basically in the near future if you work for any major company you will not be allowed to comment on the nation of china and then does it stop at china does it stop at china does this chinese censorship stop at you specifically cannot talk about our territorial aims and instead it's something else it's we don't want you espousing a position on this trade deal or we don't want you espousing a position on i don't know you know fill in the blank whatever their regime might want i mean eventually somebody has to stand up to it um, to prevent living in a dystopia, I would say. And I don't think that's too paranoid when you look at how these corporations have been capitulating. So, yeah, it's a big deal. And I think that it's a, a straw man in many ways to keep saying that, oh, why are we asking them to talk about Hong Kong? I don't think that's a widespread expectation. I don't. I think that if these guys, whether it's Steve Kerr, whether it's LeBron James, if they said no comment, I think we would have all shrugged and moved on. It's putting the screws to Daryl Morey or not supporting at all the right of an American to speak out. That is what's galling people primarily, and it really should. Let's talk about uh, Kerr now. You and I were at the that presser after Donald Trump uh, responded or, or uh, called out Kerr, uh, and Kerr responded to him in, in very eloquent fashion, his first answer talking about his own patriotic credentials, which uh, to me are, are impeccable. 
And then, of course, he kind of mm. proceeded to uh, hurt his own credentials with some of his answers. I, I asked him the question about whether he's found it difficult to balance uh, the NBA's business interest in China where with what's going on, where they're trying to censor Daryl Morey uh, and restrict his freedom of expression. Steve uh, you know, kind of just uh, obfuscated on that one. But then the quote that I'm very surprised, at least in basketball media, has gotten very little attention. So... He was asked as the last question of the presser, and I'm just going to read this whole quote here so we have it. Has it ever come up that the team's business interests in China are at odds with a country whose human rights record is not in steps with the United States? Answer, it has not come up in terms of people asking about it, people discussing it. Nor has our record of human rights abuses come up either. Things that our country needs to look at and resolve, that hasn't come up either. None of us are perfect. We have different issues we have to get to. Saying that is my right as an American. It doesn't mean that I hate my country. It means I want to address the issue. But people in China didn't ask me about, you know, people owning AR-15s and mowing each other down in a mall. I wasn't asked that question. We can play this game all we want and go all over the map. There's this issue and that issue. The world is a complex place and there's more gray than black and white. I realize that's what's popular these days is making it black and white. You're either good or you're evil. It's convenient to do things that way, but not realistic. Did you cringe as hard as I did when you heard that quote? I, I was cringing at the level of whataboutism. It did blow up uh, because I've been searching Steve's name and, and, and writing about him in conservative media. I think in, in media where people are more protective of their gun rights, uh, there was a lot of revulsion at that. And so that did blow up, just not yeah, necessarily I, in I NBA media. I mean, that media. aspect was, yeah. was ancillary to me. What, what killed me was just trying to say, yeah, I mean, obviously – as Americans, we have our own problems. You can even argue there's a few things that the Chinese. I mean, do better, frankly, but. you know what's annoying about it, and I like I like Steve Kerr a lot, and I think he's a smart guy. Is that it is it's ignorance masquerading as knowledge and complexity. That's what's annoying. Well, well here, let, let me finish my point first because where, where no. you cut me off, I almost <laughs> sounded like I was saying China was better, which I was uh, I was trying to make the opposite point. Um, okay that okay. that he so but to you're basically saying like you know hey we have our problems we can't criticize but I, i've got the implication here that like you know our problems are as bad as like the issues there. like no way i i completely reject that notion like yeah we have a, a lot of issues i don't need to get into domestic politics i think most people listening to this program know what those are and i sympathize with many of those but uh no we don't actually have uh a million uyghurs in uh concentration camps for exercising their their religion no like we actually have uh a democratically elected government yeah we actually do have freedom of speech yeah we don't have the great firewall here so yeah we've got some issues uh, uh, the murder rate is too high there's a, a lot of problems but to say that we're anywhere on the same level as some of these issues with this authoritarian well, regime I, uh, which was the implication there i really didn't care for i completely agree with that and also frustrating is that he's acceding to the censorship pressure while putting out that relativistic take where okay yeah. You're going to talk about the AR-15s. Great, fine, wonderful. We can have that conversation. Um, maybe you're going to talk about what's happening on the U.S. border. Great, wonderful. We can have that conversation. You're not going to dare mention anything about China. You're not going to mention a single thing right now, Steve. So what are we doing here? What's going on? 
Why are you obfuscating when you won't even make the case fully? That is what's so frustrating to me. It's this idea of it's complicated, it's complex, but I'm not going to get into any of the complexities. And deep down, we all know why. We know why. It's not because it's complex. That's not why there's a reluctance to comment on it. It's not that you wouldn't want to be uh, not as informed yeah, as it, possible. It didn't it's seem so complex to him three weeks ago. Nope, it didn't when, when he retweeted, retweeted it. it. No, you know, it's not the complexity, it's the simplicity. And the simplicity is they punish you if you say so. That's what it is. That's what it's always been. Frankly, that's why we all would have shrugged. Maybe some would have been disappointed if you had no commented. That's that's fine. But taking it to this level and actively doing the PR work for them in this way, because this is what they want people to think. They want Americans to go, hey, this isn't my bag. I have no moral authority. We do bad things too. Uh, nothing to see here. That's effectively what they want. And I don't think that is an ethical position to take if you are not willing to engage in it fully. And we all know they're not willing to engage in it fully because they're afraid of being punished, ironically, by this country that's, uh, you know, just exa- exactly on the same level as the United States. So, yes, it well, was frustrating. Yeah, well, and here, here's another way to say that uh, maybe this isn't the right talking point for Steve. You know, when I tweeted some of the stuff that, that I did initially about the NBA's uh, Weibo's statement, Bill Bishop can tell me how how badly i mispronounced that still but that that statement saying that maury's comments were inappropriate uh that that they shouldn't have made that statement i got a few bots responding to me and those bots were well you guys just kill all black people Uh, your police like kill all black people on the streets like that's like what like the chinese bots were saying you know and so it's like that's actually like again that police brutality is a big problem that we have here but steve in response to this issue to go there is almost like the same arguments that the chinese bots were making to me on twitter yeah and yeah that, it's, that, that's not a good look it's it's not a good look and again for the life of me why they couldn't just i mean that's what's also interesting is why engage in it was it wanting to look smart and not i, I, I i'm so i'm so confused as to why no comment and look we all know why no comment why that that wasn't the choice uh adopted is 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 confusing to me was it it, was it just not being willing to stomach even the appearance of that and trying to have the appearance of openness and wanting that appearance of openness will not be an open at all i don't know i mean that's the big mystery as far as how the primary figures in the nba have bungled this um what, what was it was it arrogance i i don't know but i really think they've bungled this and while i cannot again caveat 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 i cannot predict the future i think that there is a, a strong chance that they've done some significant damage to uh domestic interest and how fans feel about the league that it's not going to go away anytime soon i mean i personally know a yeah. season ticket holder that told me fuck no i'm not i'm not going this year i mean i i look maybe that's a very rare type of person right um you know i i I don't know how many people see i i would think very few people see the marriott thing for instance um and look into going with the kempton right i don't know how many people do that i would assume it's a a small group but i think sports is different nobody in nba media with their marriott no that's pretty oh hell oh hell no (laughs) only only kevin arnovitz who just loves being in the kempton inner circle but you know, I think sports is different than these other corporations. I think sports sure. is this weird business that in order to be a business has to be more than a business to people. Um, and so that's why it's dangerous when you start 
cutting against how people feel about the sport. And it's more dangerous than, say, if Apple, uh, you know, tethers itself to China. So I think that the NBA is really just on a practical level, even morality aside, uh, is playing a dangerous game currently. It really is. And, uh, I'm, I'm willing to be wrong. And if the first week of ratings show tremendous growth, the first month show tremendous growth, well then, hey, I was wrong about the practical effects of all of this, but, uh, we will see. I don't think I am. We will see. Yeah. To, to finish up though, I, I do want to provide a little bit of a defense of these guys. I mean, number one, if you really had to get inside of Steve Kerr's head, I mean, and you could really talk to him, I think he would say, yes, I do sympathize with the Hong Kong processors. That's why, you know, I mean, if you didn't know anything about the last week or so of Steve Kerr, you would presume that he would be sympathetic. That's why I think so many people were disappointed and why he made himself somewhat a, of an easy target. But again, I initially, my position was, hey, Steve Kerr has plenty of money. If he can't feel secure in speaking out, you know, that's a, that's a real bummer uh, on this. But it comes down to it's larger than him, right? It's the entire league. It's players. You're taking a 15% cut out of everybody's salary, perhaps. And Steve feels like, hey, you know what? I, like, these are my brothers in this business like i can't make do that with one yeah. decision that i'm making and, no, i mean that's the evil and, and, it, and not and it, position and and it wouldn't be out of his salary because of how coaches get paid so right. you're you're making a decision with other people's money um and you could under you could understand that and um i don't again i, I don't think it'd be weird if the vast majority of the players were highly invested in china's domestic politics um so in a, in a way this is coming at them a lot of them from from an angle that might be hard uh, might be hard to gauge and frankly the league has pumped them full a lot of happy talk about the situation over the last two decades i mean this is what looks so bad is that the league had really depicted this relationship in glowing terms in as, as a form of high diplomacy that all the stuff that steve was saying yeah. that no longer resonates about basketball unifying the world i mean does it look unified right now <laughs> I don't think it looks very unified. Um, so, yeah. and I think yeah. you can maybe distinguish between you know the relationship with the Chinese people and its fans, certainly, and, and the government, you know, and how closely that populace really believes in this and thinks the NBA should be banned. Who knows? And obviously, yeah. And, and to be know, clear, when we say China, yeah. we're using that as a shorthand for the decisions made by the government of China. We are right. not saying that as you know the all 1.5 billion people of China, and it's a government that I don't know if it's terribly interested in i mean the irony of joe Tsai's comment about all the hurt feelings in china is that the government won't let people express how they feel with uh with voting yeah. um so you know i don't know i i don't know what it would what it, what it effectively what effectively it it matters as far as the powers that be uh that will be an interesting relationship to watch going forward by the way um joe Tsai, who uh owns the brooklyn nets um and whose main business partner is a member of the communist party um you know that's that that's another situation that the nba has gotten itself into and i don't want to make it seem like we are from on high making our moral proclamations i didn't see this coming 
right? I didn't think that it would ever get like this, the NBA and China's relationship, and that it would ever present such problems to them. So I certainly understand how they got themselves into this very fraught situation, but maybe it's time to admit how bad it is, and maybe it's time to admit how fraught it is. I mean, Sam Amick was on a podcast I was on, he was talking about uh, having conversations with David Stern, and how David Stern is, he's almost talking about the China thing like it's in the past and it's gone bad. I think Stern is a pretty smart guy and can see that I I understand why the NBA is talking itself into thinking it can salvage this and it's 15% and everything else. Um, I don't think the trend lines are in favor of it. And maybe it's, it's time for them to try to figure out a way to extricate. Yeah. uh, That's a, I don't know about extricating, but I think they need to say, no, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to conduct ourselves the way we morally believe that we should. And, you know, ultimately we'll try to work with you, but no, we're actually going to be uncompromising on, on more things that, than they have. And I think Adam, you know, did a reasonable job of at yeah, least oh, saying that. I think of Adam's course, second the practical statement. effect is the speech has been chilled. Yeah. Given, given Silver's second statement, I mean, given the pressures around it, I thought it was a pretty good, pretty yeah. good second statement. Now, if you're making clarifying statements, you're probably in a pretty bad situation. That's never a good sign. Yeah, Whether just, you, just ask LeBron James about yeah, that. Yeah, that's uh, that's, that's um, ne- never a positive indicator. But yeah, so so I I do want to say what, one last thing though here, and and you hit on this I thought really well in your piece, which was that pointing out hypocrisy in many times uh, on social media is almost the end game of just well this person's being hypocritical, so now we'll just completely dismiss them. And uh, you know, for your in group, you've pointed out that the other side is is being hypocritical, and so now everyone in your in group loves you. And I don't really find that dialogue to be particularly constructive. And I do think people are like, oh, well, you're so hypocritical, Steve. You're speaking up on these domestic issues, but you're not speaking up on China or LeBron. You know, you, you're, uh, you supported Colin Kaepernick, but now when, and, uh, you're, uh, when that hurt your owner's business, you didn't care, but now uh, you care because Daryl Morey hurt your business, you're being hypocritical. And, and yeah, you know what? The, there is some hypocrisy there, but I also don't think that the failures on China should diminish the good things that these people have done in no. other ways, right? I mean, I think we can acknowledge, hey, they did a good job. They contributed valuably to the discourse in these ways and on this china thing and eh, you know they haven't done as good of a job and th- there's many reasons why as we've talked about but i think you shouldn't just be like oh well this is ridiculous i'm not gonna listen to anything else lebron says about domestic stuff because of this stuff on china that's going too far for me yeah i completely agree it's a form of debate and not a form of dialectic uh, I personally want to know whether what you are saying in the moment is true. You know, is it true? That's what I'm looking at. Whether or not it shows some hypocrisy of yours or you said one thing one time and another thing another time, I'm not as interested in that. And it doesn't seem to be, it doesn't seem to be productive at all. And it's, it's unfortunate. And, um, it's just an attempt to try to rob people of moral authority. And I think Marcus Thompson, I was having a conversation with him and I liked how he put it where it's not so much that we're hypocrites, even though every human being has these moments of hypocrisy. It's that, it's that we fail. You know, we fail to live up to the standards we espouse sometimes. We're human. We're fallible. Now, in the moments when we fail, does that make us failures? Or does that just mean that we failed in that instance? I prefer to look at it as the latter. And I don't look at it as, you were hypocritical here, therefore hypocrite, therefore bad, worthless person. I, I just don't think that is, I don't think that's a nuanced understanding 
understanding of humanity, and I don't think that that way of talking uh, helps with persuasion. You know, I would want I would want Kerr to look at the situation and perhaps handle it differently. I don't think dismissing him as garbage accomplishes that. Yeah, and again, I mean, I think ultimately the fact that two people whose stances I've largely admired in Kerr and LeBron, uh, uh, James Harden, I can't say I particularly admired his stances. He, he actually was probably the most abject uh, apologizer of any of these people. I think he, he might be kind of skating by here a little bit too mm. uh, uh, with his comments in Japan, although that was pretty early on in the controversy. Um, I think also but, people just don't yeah. care as much about Harden. For There's something about his personality that doesn't project. It feels as though people don't, people don't feel like they know him in the same way, but you were saying. Yeah, so, uh, but I think that does indicate just the incredible bind uh, that the Chinese uh, have managed to, to put everyone in, that these people who have largely really PR savvy people have managed to screw up like this, right? That they haven't been able to find a, a way to do this. Now, LeBron, I mean, I think he, he clearly was just angry at Daryl. And I think he let that seep into his word choice where he was trying to be dismissive of, of Daryl and ended up sounding like he was being dismissive of the whole Hong Kong movement, which I don't think was his intention. Um, and, and I think he just totally screwed that up. And, you know, I, I don't know whether, uh, what's the it, name it, of his PR guy? Uh, Adam Mendelson. Um, yeah, he he had to be uh, either did a bad job or was cringing there. Well, he might he that, might but. not have been trying to say that about Hong Kong, but I doubt he would have uh, hated it so much if one if the uh, populace of China got that implication. <laughs> I think that they yeah, I, I, I don't know. Uh, Space Jam Two opens. When does it open? Where does it open? I mean, these these uh, these things might be considerations, and politicians do this sometimes. I don't know if LeBron was, but politicians will have one message on Twitter for the twitter audience and then they'll say another thing in the town hall um so maybe it yeah. was more savvy than we're giving it credit for i doubt I, it I, I, yeah. I don't believe that it was that it was that calculated because and here's why i believe that i mean reading his quotes in the full context before he issued his clarifications i was thinking okay no he, i don't think he means it this way because he, he, the rest of the discussion was about you know here's what the consequences so so there's something the, interesting the here about reading quotes versus being there because sam amick who was in the room yeah. i mean said, i watched the video people uh, were like oh this will change your opinion i didn't think it didn't change my opinion yeah I thought it was the same as what i read it but yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. what were you saying about sam well, yeah yeah i think amick was saying on the podcast i was on that that he felt in the room that lebron was uh, taking a shot at maury's actual understanding of the politics but i mean who knows again that's something for uh, we can't get into lebron's brain we don't know but it's going to be remembered the way it came off um and that's just how it is and it would be different if he said you know maury put us in this precarious situation uh or this bad situation because we were about to go to china and he i don't think was understanding everything that would come with it but that's not exactly what he said so people people heard it another way um yeah it's uh it is man who could have predicted this nate (laughs) could have predicted this one retweet Uh, one retweet and that's the thing you're pointing out and that's the thing i want more people to say and that's the thing nobody is saying when you watch discussions about this on tv which is that the chinese government is acting crazy completely insane nobody can just say that this is insane what he like a deleted retweet that's 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 all of this over that and because they're angry and they have all this might everybody needs to scramble around and act like daryl morey was the one who was acting irrationally i mean it's i i just wish that people could cut through the bs and say that much on television 
Yeah, well, that's that's uh, what we're trying to do here, and, and thanks for joining us uh, to do that. And, and we appreciate you guys uh, supporting us uh, on these not normal dunked on content where uh for those of you who aren't interested in this we're still giving you the uh the hardcore basketball stuff uh as well but uh thanks for everyone who's been uh supporting us uh, as we talked about some of these these difficult issues over the last couple of days so we appreciate it thanks again a quick break here to tell you about zapier i run my own business i know that my to-do list is never ending and i don't have inventory or suppliers or vendors or a bunch of employees to deal with but I do know the feeling, especially back when I was a lawyer, this hit me as well, of just doing these computer tasks and feeling like, man, there's got to be a more efficient way to do this. But I just don't know exactly what it is. But with Zapier, you can automate many of these tasks that you do, but you don't know how to do. It's the easiest way to automate your work. It lets you instantly engage with leads. You can send them to a CRM or a spreadsheet, notify your team so they can act fast on every opportunity. They support more than 1,500 business applications, so the possibilities here are are virtually endless. You can make it work. You don't have to write code. You don't have to ask a developer for help. More than 4.5 million people are saving an average of 40 hours per month. It's an entire week's worth of work that you can save by using Zapier. And right now, through November, try Zapier free for two weeks by going to zapier.com slash capspace. Easy remember slash capspace. We talk about all the time in the program. That's zapier.com, Z-A-P-I-E-R, Z-A-P-I-E-R, zapier.com slash capspace. Take your free 14-day trial. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. All right, now let's bring in Brian Lewis of the New York Post, uh, Nets beat writer, first time uh, on the program, kind enough to give us some of his time here from the road. How you doing, Brian? All right, can't complain. How you doing? You uh, recovered from uh, from China yet? Uh, I'm recovered, but my sleep cycle is not recovered yet. <laughs> that may take a minute. I mean, it's, you know, 420 in the morning and I'm just wandering around the house pacing. So it may take a minute to get back to normal. Yeah. I, I noticed when, uh, we were trying to set this up, you messaged me back at like 4, 4.30 AM. I was like, oh yeah, you just got back from China. That's, <laughs> that explains that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, you wrote a nice piece on what it was like, uh, being over there in China. Any like <laughs> impressions of, of that crazy experience that, that you could share with us briefly? Well, I mean, Listen, I, it was my first my first time over there. I know some of my other NBA companions have made that trip before. It was my first time. Um, it was obvious how much they love basketball in China, even despite what's going on, um, despite the trade war, despite the rhetoric, despite Daryl Morey. It's obvious that the sport is still huge there and the league is still huge there. Um, it also was obvious to me how conflicted parts of the country are about it. Uh, I mean, they were people lined up outside the team hotel wearing NBA gear and waiting just to get a look at their favorite player. But then they'd cover their faces whenever a camera would come around because they didn't want to be seen by the more, let's say, militant or more offended parts of the Chinese citizenry. They didn't want to be seen by them supporting the NBA. There were people that came to games wearing street clothes and then changed to NBA gear once they got in the arena. Wow. Uh, I mean, they're really conflicted. You know, I mean, there were people there that uh, arguing with family members. They're like, no, I'm cutting this person off because he's still supporting the Rockets. And it should be the collective. It should be government first or 
it, it it was it was kind of rare. It was kind of it's kind of interesting to watch. And I don't know how that problem gets solved. I don't have an answer. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to take some people far brighter than I am to figure out how to solve that problem. Yeah, and uh, I encourage you guys to check out uh, Brian's piece on, on that uh, that he wrote over the weekend. The, the headline: Chinese basketball fans divided over their nation's uh, NBA backlash. Uh, I enjoyed that one. But let's turn now to this 2019-20 net season. Kevin Durant. The implication is that. They're not going to put any pressure on him to come back. Sean Mark saying he doesn't expect him back. What's what's your read on that? Should we be completely writing off Kevin Durant's return here? Do you think there is some chance that he could come back before the end of the season? I wouldn't write it off. I mean, listen, I don't I don't gamble mainly just because I'm too stingy to lose my money. Um, so I, I, I feel similarly, so I don't bet. But if you were going to force me to bet, I, I I wouldn't just assume that he's not playing. Here's the thing: I know that they're quite pleased with how the recovery is going. I know that to be true. Now, here's the situation when obviously when Kevin Durant got hurt the Warriors instantly ruled him out for next season um, after he came to Brooklyn the next time Sean Marks addressed the media was in Las Vegas during summer league he chose not to rule Kevin Durant out for the season at that point and he got criticized roundly in many quarters, including in my newspaper by one of my coworkers, for not instantly ruling Kevin Durant out. I think this is a case of trying to manage expectations. And if you noted during their introductory press conference, Kyrie Irving went out of his way to state that he basically was going to be like a brother to Kevin Durant and shield him from any pressure. And he implied that the Warriors pushed him back or the external pressure pushed him back and contributed to this injury. I think this is a case of Sean Marks saying, all right, I'm going to take this pressure off of Kevin Durant. Because if I don't say that, maybe the reporters won't be asking him in November. Maybe they won't be asking him even at Christmas. But come Valentine's Day, every day, they're going to be asking, how's the rehab going? How's the rehab going? How close are you practicing? What are you doing? Which probably is true. Sure. <laughs> it's probably not untrue, right? Yeah, you, so I you, think you, will, you will probably be asking those questions. I, I admit fact. it. I, I admit it. I would. Yeah. So I, yeah, think, I mean, that's your job. I think this is a case of Sean Marks and the organization trying to take that pressure off of Kevin Durant. And if he does come back and he has some Willis Reed moment and he comes back, then that's great. I think that's what this is. Am I guaranteeing that he's going to play? No, I'm not saying run to Vegas and put money on the fact that he's going to play by X date. I'm not saying that. But do I think it's a guarantee or a sure thing that we won't see him playing until next October? No, I, I don't think that's a sure thing. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, his former teammate, Clay Thompson, everyone seems to be thinking like, oh, he's going to come back at the all-star break but the return to play from acl has actually been longer than achilles or something i mean it's like wes yes. matthews in 2016 tore his in march he was back at the start of the season kobe tore his in april he was back i think six or seven games into the following season and then immediately uh, suffered another season ending injury in the the 13 14 season and so maybe there's an idea that they learned the lesson this is also a case where you know he can't come back at the start of the season and so then the timing gets tricky right you're going to have him come back march one and then he immediately has to 
ramp up potentially for the playoffs you know that timing is a lot more difficult than okay does he come back at the start of the year and you, you can limit his minutes you know, take it easy and he ramps up all season and then he's ready for the playoffs it's really a, a totally different animal there but i mean just in terms of like what he physically could do if they pushed it as hard as possible yeah i think it's very clear that he could come back and perhaps the, the way the season is going uh could have a slight impact on that although obviously kd uh, may have learned his lesson about coming back due to uh external pressures of how the season is going the first time around I think he's learned from that. I think it's it's less reliant upon what the Nets record is or whether they're sitting in you know, fifth versus eighth. I, I don't think that's what it's going to be dependent on. I think it's going to be dependent on how he feels and the feedback that he's getting from their performance team and the trainers and his doctors and so forth. Uh, I think it'll be less driven by, you know, whether they're on a an eight game winning streak or whether they've lost five of nine or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if they're not even going to make the playoffs, you know, if that's clear, you know, let's say Kyrie gets injured early on or something like that. Sure. And, and they're just, you know, they're not even close to making the playoffs. Then it kind of seems like, you know, well, actually not maybe, maybe they would even consider bringing him back for, you know, like 10 games at the end, kind of Paul George in 2015 style to like get his feet wet, knowing that there isn't a pressure to ramp him up for the playoffs there. But yeah, I mean, as far as them, I, I, you would imagine that they're not going to like push him back faster unless they're really, uh, really in it and probably won't even necessarily do it at that time. So here's the next question. I wanted to ask you let's say KD doesn't play at all this year mm-hmm. is this Nets team better than last year's Nets team yes I think so uh, yeah. for a couple reasons one I think Kyrie while they probably will not get as many games out of Kyrie as they did out of D'Angelo I think Kyrie's a better player than D'Angelo now I'm not again I'm not rooting for Kyrie to get hurt I'm just looking at past history and saying He has not been the most durable guy I've ever seen. So I'm assuming that he won't give him as many games as D'Angelo did, but he's a superior player. I, I don't think anybody would deny that. So that's an upgrade. I also don't expect Karis LeVert to miss 40 games. I, I Assuming that he stays at least reasonably healthy, I think he could take a quantum leap forward. I think he's. I think the NBA is going to see how good Karis Lever can be this year. I really believe that. He, to me, that kid has a ceiling of being like the third star on a championship contending team. I really think he can be that good. And I think he'll start to show that this year. And then I think they have better depth in their front court than they did last year. I mean, there were games last year where they really did get beat up in their front court, where they just had issues. Um, I think Jared Allen probably will be a year better, but I think DeAndre, if he's motivated, which, you know, I'm not sure how motivated he was playing with the Knicks. Um, Uh, I'm sure he was not. (laughs) (laughs) So I think DeAndre in a motivated, appropriate state of mind, whether Jared Allen that's a year older and a year bigger and a year better, and then throwing in Torian Prince, who uh, to me, that looks like a steal. That's a find. I think their front court is better than it was last year. And that's, I say that with all due respect to Ed Davis, who I think did young. Yeah. But I, I think their front court is better. So you've upgraded that point guard. You've upgraded in your front court. And you've got a two guard who, you know, is just really on the verge of being able to show people what he can do if he can stay healthy. I think that alone makes for a better team this year than you had last year. That's if Durant doesn't play one second. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I do think they have a little bit of weakness on the wing. Uh, perhaps Jamari Carroll gave him some 3 and D stuff that, that's going to be missed. And it'll be interesting to see whether Torian Prince, who has now replaced Jamari Carroll in two stops uh, in Atlanta as well, can up his defense. I know a lot of people in Atlanta were really down uh, on what he brought defensively the last couple of years. I think they're going to be a lot better offensively. I mean, quietly, despite the run and gun uh, aspect to this team, they were below average offense by points per possession mm-hmm. last year. So I, I think they can get into the top 10 in offense and Kyrie I mean is just so efficient compared to where Russell was but I think they could take a little bit of a step back defensively this was quietly I think they punched above their weight defensively last year and i think you know missing some of the wings we'll see what deandre can bring them i think ed davis was better last year defensively than deandre we'll see whether that's the case sure this year so i i could see them taking a little bit of a step back to maybe being kind of in the 20 range defensively we'll see how Kyrie defends uh, as well so yeah i mean i think they'll be a little better this year but i don't know i, I don't see necessarily a quantum leap forward uh, what do you think well, I'm not sure uh, how we would define a quantum leap, but they won. Yeah, I, I mean, 40- like 50 wins, for example. Oh, you know, they're kind of. Yeah. I wouldn't have gone with 50. I mean, yeah. conservatively speaking, I don't know. And I'm hideous with predictions, and I don't like doing them. But uh, maybe 45, <laughs> maybe 46. Yeah, that's about what I had them to. I think their uh, over under was 44 and a half, something like that. Okay. Um, so that that seems about right to me. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be interesting to think think about. Uh, you know, is the offensive increase going to offset a defensive decline, or can they keep the defense the same and, and get better offensively? That's kind of the, the dichotomy I see there. Right. Um. So, uh, what are some of the playing time issues that you see Coach Kenny Atkinson having to sort out? Like, what are some of the battles uh, going to be in camp and at the start of the season for some of these rotation roles? Well, the best battle to me is at center. Uh, because, I mean, these are two guys that need to play. Um, I mean, Jared Allen, they love. They love Jared Allen. But, I mean, you didn't bring DeAndre here to just put him in mothballs the way the Knicks did and just DM yeah. him for a dozen straight games or what have you. That's that's not his role. Um, that's not what they have him here for, especially with Ed, Ed Davis being gone. So that's a fascinating battle there. Now that could end up being a matchup situation. You know, you might start somebody, you know, you might go with DeAndre against somebody like Embiid or, you know, somebody that's more physical and has more girth. And then you might start Jared against somebody that's more lean and angular. So they could go that way um, or they could go with the hot hand. I don't know. Um, But to me, that's the most competitive position battle. Now, I'm interested to see what happens at power forward. Yeah, me too. Um, Because, I mean, you have, and again, I'm discounting Durant. Uh, So I'm saying between Karuks, who is your holdover, I mean, he's your nominal starter because he was your starter at the end of last year. Um, But Torian Prince, you know, last a year ago, when they came out of their off-season pickup games, everybody said, Karis LeVert is taking this quantum leap forward. He's so much better. And, you know, when he got to camp, he showed that he really had gotten a lot better. And he was getting early all-star buzz before he got hurt. After these games now, after playing pickup games this summer, I was asking guys the same question. And to a man, they all said, this guy, Torian Prince, he can really shoot. I mean, he's he's really good. Um, and so far in the preseason, he's shown that that's, that's accurate. You know, he lived up to that billing. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. Now, understanding, of course, that Rodion's Karuks has a court case two days before the season starts. He's due yeah. back in court for assault. 
So, you know, we have to see exactly how that plays out legally. Will he be suspended? If he is, is it a short suspension, a long suspension, what have you? Um, But if you're asking me the best competition is at center. Um, But I'm pretty intrigued to see what happens at power forward, too. As Wilson Chandler is out 25 games with his own. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's really the thinnest position and, and probably the one that gives me cause for the most concern for them, especially defensively. I mean, if you want to talk about having guys who are really have like nba wing size i mean they don't really you know kurox i guess is kind of power forward size but he's a on the thin side so you don't really have anyone who's the size of a traditional power forward you know prince i i trust what you're saying about him shooting the ball well but you know those uh off-season pickup games aren't known for their defense and that's where his weakness has been at the three and now you're asking him to move up uh, to the four so the rebounding could be a problem uh, on the defensive glass has never been a great offensive rebounding team either um and so joe harris at the three you know he's a, a good shooter he's got size but he's not necessarily a stopper at that position either so if you're going up against uh, tough wing guys uh, on the other team you know they don't really have an an obvious candidate maybe that's garrett temple uh who plays really hard but he's kind of more of a 2-3 defender than a 3-4 defender so I do think they're going to be kind of scrambling at that position throughout a lot of the year uh against bigger yeah against teams that are either bigger or teams that have an explosive three going to be a problem um those are issues that they're going to have to work through and i, I agree obviously temple yes agreed two three um Karras can guard but again that's talking about more of a two right um and it's an issue power forward defensively could be an issue now Karutz is he's gotten a little bulkier a little bigger through the chest but he's still he's still lean he's still not yeah. what you call a big guy right so Obviously, Torian Prince, he's more of an offensive player, and he hasn't been great on defense, certainly last season and really for two seasons. Um, and he's listed at 6'8", which is a brazen lie. He's about 6'6". Six, six. <laughs> a brazen lie. Well, I guess I guess it's only a matter of time before those new official measurements come out, right? Yeah, he's, maybe, he's not close to 6'8". He's maybe 6'6 six, six and change. Um, but he's that he's going to be tasked with guarding power forwards. I mean, in China, he's matched up against Anthony Davis. That's the kind of responsibility. Now, granted, not every power forward is Anthony Davis, but sure. these are the kind of things he's going to have to deal with. So, yes, that's going to be a question. And they could have issues defensively, particularly, you know, at the three and the four more than anything. Well, well, the good news for DeAndre Jordan is he's not going to have to steal any rebounds from uh, his teammates because they none of them can rebound. So he'll actually have that all to himself <laughs> this year. Well, there you go. See, and that's <laughs> it, when I asked Kenny that very same thing, whether their rebounding at the four is going to seriously impact his decision at the five, he claimed it wasn't. Now, he can say that in training camp, and it might be different if six games into the year, they've been rebound they've been out rebounded in every single game maybe he'll change his opinion (laughs) he might have a change of heart but it is a problem i mean torian prince clearly would have to up his rebounding if he's going to be playing at the four that's not even in question at this point so that could be another issue that they're dealing with yeah the other interesting thing to me about this team is i i would say maybe your four best players are Kyrie Irving, Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, and maybe Joe Harris. Uh, you know, you, you, the, the, maybe I have the beholder on that last one. I'm higher on Dinwiddie than some. Maybe your your opinion is different. But, you know, it's difficult to play Irving, LeVert, and Dinwiddie together at the end of games. What lineup would you think Atkinson is going to go to to close games with this group? Mm, to close games? That's a good question. Um, 
I'm assuming that it won't include DeAndre, despite his incredible improvement at the free throw line last year to go from being absolutely hideous to being mediocre. Um, I'll assume that it won't include him. So I guess we're looking at Kyrie and Karras as givens. Yeah. Um, it may be matchup related I, between whether you're shifting Karras up to the three and putting Spencer in the backcourt or whether you're leaving Joe on the court. Um, yeah, and I guess it depends how Prince defends too. I mean, if he's not going to defend, then maybe Joe Harris just is the better Rode, option at the four even. And, well, and, and, you know, Rody's feisty. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you don't generally have to worry about him giving effort uh, or energy level or getting lost on defense. So on those situations, I could see that, too. I mean, getting Torian to defend has been priority number one for Kenny in the preseason and training camp. They're not worried about whether the ball is going to go in. They're not even concerned. He, his stroke has looked that good. Their concern is getting him back to the way he defended when he was a rookie, you know, in the early parts of his second season. That's what they're trying to get it back to. Um, so closing games, yeah. I'm not sure. Kyrie, Karras, and Jared, and then I'm not sure matchup-wise at the four what they would do. Yeah, maybe you could see Dinwiddie replacing Lavert if he just doesn't have it going. I mean, if he, you know, if he takes a step forward that, that you expect him to, maybe not. But, you know, Dinwiddie's a really good player, too. I mean, I think he's uh, he's got some pretty decent size at that position. He can move over to the two as well. He gets to the foul line more than anyone on this team, which is uh, something that they need. So that might be something to watch, too, just depending on what kind of a year Lavert is having. Well, they could play. I mean, Lavert can guard threes. I mean, yep. they could play. Yeah, I guess could, he's, he's like 6'7", huh? Yeah, they can. They have no compunction about letting Lavert guard a three and Dinwiddie guard a shooting guard. That's not an issue. It's not a problem. Lavert, when Lavert's not being asked to do everything, he actually is a really good defender. There were hmm. times when two years ago he was asked to do entirely too much. Um, that should not, offensively, that should not be a concern this year. And it certainly wouldn't be a concern going forward, you know, once Durant is back. So I think that would allow him to exert the kind of energy defensively that, you know, we used to see from him. He can guard, you know, the question is, can he stay healthy? Yeah, I guess that's, that's another part of it too. Um, so we got about five minutes uh, left here. What do you see just overall as some of the big strengths uh, of this group vis-a-vis uh, other teams? Well, they're deep. They have a lot of players. I mean, he can play 10 deep. Um, that's a strength. Um, progressively, their shooting has gotten better from when Kenny and Sean Marks arrived. Um, their three-point shooting this year, they actually should be quite dangerous from the three-point yeah. this year. Um, obviously, Alan Crabb never lived up to what they expected from him. But when you consider the way Joe has developed as a shooter, and then you consider assuming that Torian does what he has always done, you know, hit 38-5, 39%, assuming Kyrie's around 40%, their three-point shooting should be if not elite, certainly quite dangerous. I would say those are probably two of their bigger strengths. Now, at the end of last year, I would have said team chemistry. I don't know what their team chemistry will be this year because we haven't seen them play a game in earnest yet. You know, it's, it's very difficult for me to sit here and speak about team chemistry in October. You know, at least, you know, I'd have to wait till Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, I'd have to wait to see yeah. a couple tough losses 
before I have any idea what their chemistry really is. Because frankly, this is this is a new team. I mean, Twenty players yeah. in camp, and thirteen of them were new. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, and you know, the first year of Kyrie, I think people have predicted that that's going to go a little better. That it was all kumbaya that first year he was in Boston. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I think that it should probably be fine this year. I, I think another strength I would point to is just uh, pick and roll play, isolation play as well. I think Levert, Dinwiddie, and obviously Irving; uh, those are three guys who can really just go get a bucket if you if a team is switching at the end of the game or uh, out of pick and roll. Um, so that's one that I would look at as well. Um, what about uh, weaknesses for these guys? Well, I'm not sure what they're going to look like defensively. I mean, I know what they would want to look like, but it remains to be seen. Um, as we discussed, they could have issues at power forward. They could have issues at three. So I'm not sure that they can continue to take. They've taken defensive stride, but it certainly wouldn't be out of the question for them to backslide a little bit this year, like certainly at the beginning of yeah. the year. Um I don't know what they're going to look like on the boards. I mean, if you're going to put Tory and Prince at the at the four, then he's going to have to yeah. rebound, which he has not done. Now, you know, I don't know if he's asked to play that position. Maybe there are more rebounds there. I don't know, but that's an issue. And Jared Allen, while he vastly improved his rebounding, he has not rebounded at the rate that DeAndre Jordan has. So if you're going to start, can you really start Jared Allen and start Torian Prince? Is that your starting front court? How many rebounds are they going to give you? You can't go every game and your starting front court's giving you six rebounds, seven rebounds. Yeah. <laughs> That's just not going to work. So both yeah. of them are going to have, I mean, Jared's going to have to take another leap forward, which I think he can. And Prince is going to have to take a leap forward, which I don't know whether he can. Yeah, I, I would. I agree with you on all that. I would add to that defensively, uh, forcing turnovers. I think right. they're going to really struggle there. Um, they were 23rd in the NBA last year in forcing turnovers defensively. They play a very conservative scheme with the center laying back. There's no one you really look at on this team on the perimeter who gets steals. Uh, so, yeah, I think like the defense is going to be fascinating. I think they're not going to be good in the possession game uh, on the defensive glass. And the personnel isn't great, but they have managed to kind of play the right way in terms of just forcing teams into more mid-rangers. Just the areas on the floor, at least, that teams are taking shots generally against these guys they've managed to kind of prop up i think maybe punch a little bit above their weight so we'll see whether that effect continues uh, or not um all right and then i i think you know you, you kind of think you're around 45 wins uh, for this group it, it seems like again I, we won't I hold you to that, that but uh, i would say yeah. that and that's based on nothing outlandish on either side of the bell curve in other words sure. i'm not expecting this is not including say Kevin Durant coming back uh, at the all-star break and averaging 30 for the rest of the second half season. It's also not yeah. expecting Karis LeVert to have another hideous injury. You know, I'm expecting right. a reasonable output, you know, in terms of quantity of gain from Kyrie and from Karis. Um, so I'm kind of playing it down the middle. I'd say 45, maybe 46 games. Now, if there are catastrophic injuries, obviously it could be worse. Or if Durant comes yeah. back and he plays lights out, then it could be better. But assuming you don't get either of those, I'd say 45, maybe 46, something like that. Let's put it 45 and a half. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to go with 43. Their over under was 44. And I think I'm just worried about the defense. And then I'm also worried about, you know, not a catastrophic injury. We're not considering that, but you know, 20 missed games for Kyrie, 20 missed games for Levert. You know, that's kind of around where those guys have been. Yeah. So, uh, and then they get real thin without those guys? Yes. I mean, 
they do. Now, they do have the benefit of having Dinwiddie. I mean, he might yeah. be as good as any backup point guard in the NBA. He, I, he I, would have been my pick for six-man last year if he had been healthy the whole season. Right. So if I look at it and I say, well, these are the two guys that, A, are going to have to carry a significant portion of the offense, and they are your two injury worries, where I worry about these guys maybe missing I would have said 30, and you're saying 40 games between them. Um, they are fortunate in that they have Spencer. And there's there's never a problem. That's why I'm never concerned with finding minutes. People say, oh, well, what are you going to do with this guy? How are you going to get him enough minutes? That's not a problem. <laughs> At the end of the year, <laughs> there will be minutes there to be had for Spencer. I wouldn't worry one bit about that. Um, so they are fortunate in that case. The difference is, though, they don't have they don't have uh, like a Shabazz Napier. They don't have a legitimate third string point guard that they did last year. Yeah. Um, who that is, I don't know. So in other words, let's say for the sake of argument, those guys are both out and they're both missing the same game. And you're without Kyrie and you're without uh, and you're without Karras and Spencer's playing. When he's off the floor, you don't have a natural yeah. point guard to bring in. So, I mean, you because Jalen Hands, I mean, he's going to be in the G League. So, I mean, basically, right. you're looking at either Theo Pinson or John and Musa, one of the two, bringing the ball up when Spencer's off the floor on, in those circumstances. You know? So that's a little different. Well, I, on that chilling note, sadly, that is where we're going to have to leave uh, <laughs> the, the this this podcast. But uh, thanks so much uh, for joining us, Brian. And uh, where can everyone keep up with your work throughout the season? Oh, just uh, check it out at nypost underscore Lewis on Twitter. All right. Thanks again, Brian. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks again to The Athletic for sponsoring today's program and The Athletic's Ethan Strauss for joining us. The Athletic is proud to offer its subscribers a full suite of local and national NBA coverage. Subscribe today. Enjoy smarter sports coverage. No ads, no pop-ups. None of those miserable auto-playing videos. It's not just game recaps. It's not just newsers on injuries. There's smarter analysis. Their staff is freed up to write the interesting stories. Go to theathletic.com slash capspace to get 40% off a yearly subscription. It comes out to $2.99 a month. That's theathletic.com to get 40% off your yearly subscription. And don't forget that slash capspace URL, theathletic.com slash capspace to let them know that you came from us.